Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. What do you guys want to talk about? You are listening to the flagship podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Stephanie Smile is like a white woman in a Mexican restaurant. Please, she just told the waitress, gracias. <laughs> Hun, did you hear me? I got the corn tortillas. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rich Rage. Jesus Christ, log off and go to work. What are you doing? And we are live on the flagship podcast. I am Rich. No Joe this week. He is on vacation. He's at the beach house, but that is okay because we have a very special show planned. We are going to change up the format a little bit here. We're going to do some multiple segments uh, to kind of cover a wide range of the world of wrestling. So we're going to start off this week's show uh, with a discussion with Andrew Sinclair. We're going to introduce Andrew here in a moment. He is Voices of Wrestling's uh, Impact Wrestling columnist and reviewer. We are going to start the show with Impact Wrestling. I don't even remember the last time we talked about Impact, and we're starting out of the gates with Impact Wrestling. We're going to talk about Against All Odds, uh, what's coming up for Slammiversary, and just get the latest on the happenings in Impact Wrestling with uh, somebody who knows more about Impact than, than, than a lot of other people, and most people probably should, uh, Andrew Sinclair. So we'll talk with him in a bit. Uh, after that, we'll bid Andrew Sinclair a, uh, uh, we'll bid him adieu because he's got to go to bed. It's like 1 a.m. for him. Uh, then I'm going to do a quick hit news segment talking about AEW Collision's debut, uh, Roosh leaving AAA, turmoil in the Chicago indie scene, WWE's perplexing new title belt, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and then for the last part of the show, we're going to bring on New Japan World's research and stats guru, Chris Samsa. He's going to join the show to talk about New Japan for Wrestling's G1 Climax. We'll talk about the block lineups, what the G1 schedule tells us about potential winners, block advancers, as well as some fun stats uh, and facts that Chris was able to dig up. So we're going to do a, We're going to cover a lot of stuff. We're going to cover Impact. We're going to cover AEW. We'll talk Indies. We'll talk Lucha. We'll talk WWE. We'll talk New Japan. We're going to talk it all here on this week's episode of The Flagship. Without any further ado, though... Let's bring on our first very special guest, Andrew Sinclair. Andrew, how are you? Welcome to the show. It's a very exciting for me to be here, Rich. And uh, yeah, 1 a.m., but I'm rocking and raring to go. It's not quite, you know, the dulcet tones of late night Lanza, but I'll do my best. It's 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 close. Yeah, it's close. So yeah, thank you for staying up late uh, to talk uh, Impact with us. And uh, I know some people are probably going to be like, you're starting the show with Impact? And my original idea was to do the news hit first uh, and then bring you on. But then it was going to get a little too late for you. But then also I was like, you know what? No, we haven't talked about Impact in a while. Uh, and, you know, we're going to talk about the Against All Odds show. We're going to talk about, you know, Alex Shelley winning the Impact title. There's a lot of exciting things going on in Impact, and it's a company that we really haven't talked about, mostly because of me, for the record. Like, Joe has many times been like, hey, let's talk about Impact. And I'm like, ah, I don't really want to talk about Impact. <laughs> so it's mostly me. So I'm, I'm glad to bring you on, and I'm glad to do this off the top of the show, too, because I do feel like it has been a while 
uh, since we talked about that company. We are going to get into them uh, here in a moment. Before we do that, though, Andrew, you want to let people know where they can follow you, where they can read your work, where they can do all that other good stuff uh, if they just need more Andrew Sinclair in their lives. Yeah, for sure. I think, first of all, I wanted to say, when you, you messaged me the other day to say, do you want to come on the show? I genuinely worried that Joe had succumbed to the flu because that cough was pretty bad on last week's show. <laughs> yeah, hopefully um, the beach, hopefully the beach air has cleared that up. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's been pretty dicey lately, so it's probably a good thing he's taking this week off. Um, but yeah, in terms of plugs, you can follow me on Twitter for as long as that lasts on uh, at AM Sinclair ninety seven, and then in terms of wrestling stuff, it's yeah, it's just Voice of Wrestling, um, Impact columns every week. Uh, uh, previews and reviews of all their live shows, pay-per-views um, and if you want to read one piece of my work, it's got absolutely nothing to do with Impact, it's a piece I did a couple of years ago for Voice of Wrestling which was about the late Matt Anawahi uh, was Rosie in WWE who is my favourite wrestler um, a very personal piece that kind of explains why, despite wrestling being dumb and silly all the time it's still just the best thing. And, it, you know, it's why it always means a lot to me. So if you're going to read something, I would say read that one. For yeah, sure. I, I remember that. That was an awesome piece. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. I'll try to uh, link it in the show notes for people that uh, have maybe not uh, read it before uh, or, or, or don't remember it. And, and yeah, that's it's a great piece. And, and that's the type of stuff that we love uh, doing at Voices of Wrestling. I believe the headline was a real superhero, uh, a tribute to Matt NOI. So, uh, well, again, I'll try to link that in the show notes. I'll link it into the uh, YouTube chat room right now as well uh, for those that are listening live. But uh, before we kind of get into Impact, I do want to let people know about Andrew and, and, and your history with the website, which you had to follow one of the toughest tasks that pretty much I think anybody would have to follow in – Gary Kidney was right, wrote Impact Wrestling reviews and columns for us for years, for I think five or six years or whatever. Nobody, literally nobody on earth. I, I really am, tr- I truly believe that, that nobody on earth knows more about Impact Wrestling uh, than Gary Kidney. He's currently the co host of uh, You've Got to Be Kidding Me, uh, the uh, TNA History show uh, here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. But I really honestly don't think there's another human on earth who knows more about Impact Wrestling than Garrett. Uh, and then when he had to stop writing the column, which, by the way, what's that guy even doing these days? I mean, he, I know he does this <laughs> podcast, but like, geez, you know, he hasn't written a thing for the website. It kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind for that guy, too. Him and Mookie Ghana. I don't know what happened to both those guys, but they just can't, you know, find him with the search party anymore. But um, then we needed to find somebody to replace Garrett. And there's really never going to be a way to replace Garrett. There's really going to be no way to find anybody else on Earth that knows more and is 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 more in tune with what's going on in TNA and Impact Wrestling. But then you stepped up, and 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 Garrett kind of vouched for you and said, I think this guy can work. I think he'll be able to do it. And, you know, I think you had written a couple of things for us before that, but I was like, all right, yeah, I mean, if you want to follow Garrett, man, that's like I didn't expect anybody to f- carry that mantle. I just figured everybody was going to be like, well, if I'm not going to be able to follow Garrett, so I'm not even going to bother. But you've been doing this now for, God, how many? It, it has to be around four or five years now that you've been pretty much consistently writing columns and doing reviews about Impact Wrestling. And... No offense to, to Garrett at all, but like I think you've done just an absolutely incredible job. You're you're not you're not following Garrett because no one's going to follow Garrett as far as Impact Wrestling. But like the stuff that you've done, I mean, there is nobody else that I think does and and covers Impact Wrestling better than you do. Writes about Impact Wrestling better than you do. Is fair to Impact Wrestling 
as you are as well, because there is still a lot of the uh, LOL TNA and that crew or whatever, or there's people that just don't even care about it anymore. or have just completely done out of sight, out of mind, or there's the full on cheerleaders, the last remainings of the TNA meccas and all that sort of stuff where they can do no wrong. They're the best company ever. That's not you. You, you, you fall into the fair analysis of impact wrestling, which is just not a niche that is, is really covered by anybody else. But I, I just think you have done, and I know Joe, Joe agrees with this as well. have just done an absolutely incredible job covering it back wrestling over the last couple of years uh, in a way that, again, I don't think anybody else uh, short of Garrett Kidney can even think about accomplishing. So, so, so thank you for all the work that you've done uh, on impact wrestling. And I do think more people, you know, if, if you have even a, a cursory uh, interest in uh, impact should be reading you every single week. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's a, it's a twofold uh, I suppose threefold thank you to you and Joe, really. One, for trusting me in the first place, because it was a huge mantle to to take over. And also, it was like Impact Wrestling in early 2018. Yeah. <laughs> when it was like, basically in the absolute toilet. And it was like, you really don't need to do this. But also, it was the fact you came out the gate and were like, please don't review the show top to bottom. Like, try and frame it as a column or... Or something like that and honestly i could not be more grateful because that saved me five years of reviewing every jessica havoc tire valkyrie <laughs> match and it's like there are only so many to write like what are you gonna use. write <laughs> like what's the paragraph gonna be like and they had a really bad match again and hit each other with trash can lids all right <laughs> yeah cool, it's yeah. like i can't tie up my own shoelaces but i've got more coordination than these women dud move on right. but then i can't use that bit the next week um so, yeah, it's just it sort of gave me a lot of freedom to do it. Um, and I think the other thing is just, you know, when I first came in, I think I was a lot more like, oh, I don't want to upset anyone. So I don't want to just come in and be like, this person sucks. They can't wrestle. This is a terrible story. And then I just was listening to the flagship and you and Joe just like bury everything and everyone. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to not hold back anymore. And I feel that just sharpened my writing to the point where, you know, recently there have been a lot of columns where i'm just like bully ray sucks go away and then i just send you a message and say look i'm ranting about bully again enjoy your sunday so yeah yeah we've we've yet to hear from the bully ray camp uh that we have not been uh reached out to by the bully ray camp so i guess he's either just not reading or he doesn't care or he knows that he sucks and he's just cashing checks and he doesn't really care which is probably honestly the smart way to do it and probably the way that he's doing it is I don't really care what people think about me. Uh, I'm going to put a new addition on my house. Thank you, Scott Demore. So, uh, yeah, a lot of Bully Ray uh, in today's current Impact Wrestling. Uh, some would say too much Bully Ray. Uh, you know, I think ever, most people would say that. But uh, uh, there, there's there's enough good stuff going on in, uh, in, in Impact right now. And it, it felt uh, like a great time to bring you on and, and, and discuss that because Against All Odds was the pay-per-view they had. Uh, this past weekend, and, and of course, you have a review up for us at VoicesOfWrestling.com of that uh, that pay-per-view. And I got to say, it, it, it was a pretty good show. I, I, I've watched the whole thing. I've watched it from top to bottom, and, and we'll, we'll talk about all the matches uh, as we go through. But I think what the real big story is and the big reason why we're doing this part of the show, like I don't know if this result was different that I would – have you on this week honestly like if the result was different i might have just kind of said eh, against all odds happened okay move on we'll talk about you know something else going on in the world i'm sure cm punk has done something this week and indeed he has like <laughs> in the last couple of hours he has of course he has i could have filled an hour just doing hey here's what cm punk's up to this week but because of the result of the main event i i felt compelled not only to talk about impact this week but to bring you on as well because i know you're somebody who's written a ton about uh, uh this man and, and really both people in the main event but the world title match, it was the main event of Against All Odds. It was Alex Shelley versus the champion Steve Macklin. 
and Alex Shelley after years and years and years, and I know they listed the amount of matches on on, on uh, the, the, the pay-per-view. I know that Tom mentioned it as well. After all those years and all those matches and, and, and unfortunately not that many opportunities, a shockingly low amount of opportunities, Alex Shelley has won the Impact World Championship. So, so Andrew, we'll start with that, and then we'll talk about the match itself. What was that moment like for you as somebody who has watched Impact for, for a very long time? And, and I know somebody who's a huge fan of Alex Shelley. How cool was it to finally see him get that title? And it just felt like a culmination of a guy who's had still an underrated career. And, and I truly believe that Shelley and Saban, and we'll talk about Saban in a little bit, those guys, everybody tries to give them their due. And, and and really tries to say, like, no, people don't appreciate these guys enough. People don't understand just how good they are. And they're still underrated. And I don't know what it's going to take. It might take both of them retiring in, like, 10 years or 15 years and people going back. But Alex Shelley, one of the most underrated wrestlers, arguably, of all time. I mean, just a super great worker, him and Chris Saban both. But, you know, what was that moment like for you watching Against All Odds and seeing Alex Shelley finally win the big one, finally win the Impact World title? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to put a word on it, really, because I was genuinely shocked that that was the direction they were going in. You know, everything seemed built up that a Shelley's story was that he couldn't win the big one. You know, they made a big deal last year of him getting his first ever Impact World Title match against Josh Alexander, and he lost. And the story coming into this match with Macklin was. You know, I, I've been there before and I lost, but I know I can do it this time because I'm better than you. And frankly, Steve Macklin, you're not Josh Alexander. You know, I know that you're not that guy and I know I can beat you even if I couldn't beat him. But it still felt like a placeholder defence for Macklin because it was like, right, well, the play here is Nick Aldis, Steve Macklin in the Slammiversary main event. Like, that's the direction they're going in. Um so I wrote in my preview that, you know, I was like, it's a lock that, you know, Macklin's going to win. And it made sense because I was like, well, Shelley will lose. And then you can build to him getting mad at Chris Sabin for, for being a nine time X division champion and a, a world champion. And he never had that. And then you can kind of do a, a heel thing with Shelley. And yeah, then, or a torture yeah, soul thing won. for him as well. Yeah. A thing of just yeah. like, okay, I can do this one. I can beat this guy. And then he can't beat that guy. And it's like, all right, well, maybe I can't beat anybody. <laughs> like maybe I'm done. Maybe yeah. this is it. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, Steve Macklin went for the, the Tree of Woe spear for the second time. And then when he missed, there was like this visual where they panned into Alex Shelley's face and he had this kind of wide-eyed, thousand-yard stare. And it was like, he's winning. Like, it was so obvious a look on his face that he was going to win. And I was just like, oh, but that's not the direction. Like, he's obviously going to kick out Shell Shock or whatever it was. And then he just beat him. And I think I just sat there sort of shock and awe and didn't really know uh, what to think. Um but just just an incredible moment for him, an incredibly deserved moment for him, someone who was never really used, even though he was such an important person in fact for such a long period of time, he never really scratched the surface of what he could have done towards the top of the card because of the people who were in charge and the, the way they wanted to book things. And, you know, when him and, and Saban came back during the pandemic, Shelley was there for sort of six months and then he went away again because of, you know, his his work with, you know, physio and so on. And then he came back and they were doing the tag thing properly. But it just felt like they were going to win the tag team titles a few more times. And that was going to be their their thing and building up young guys like Ace Austin and Chris Bay. And then, yeah, he won the world title. And it was just like, that's just really cool. And sometimes people can have nice things in wrestling and you don't have to wait too long or everything 
feels incredibly foreshadowed and obvious that that's what you're going to do. You know, I think I, I started my review saying I thought they were going to zig and then they zagged and it just stunned me and yeah, helped that the match absolutely rocked as well. So. A really, really good match. Yeah. For people that haven't seen it. And, and, and I'll also echo that too. Uh, last year. And I, I, I we talked about it on the flagship because I was there live for the Shelley uh, Alexander match last year in, in, in Chicago. If you have not seen that match, if you're listening to this and, and you haven't seen that match of, I honestly, and I don't know if you would agree, Andrew. Like this is if you got to watch an impact match of the last couple of years, that might be the one. I'm trying to think of what other matches I would really say that like ah, if you're looking to catch up on impact, or ah, if you're trying to watch you know a couple impact matches that, that have happened over the last couple of years, maybe you haven't watched the company as much. It feels like that Shelly Alexander has to be like near the top of the list, or or or, or quite frankly at the top of the list because I. I don't know if it was just a live bump, but I thought that match was absolutely spectacular. And it did pretty well on our match of the year as well. So a lot of other people did agree uh, that that was a standout match. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's definitely a match that I think you do need to go out of your way to check out. And I would agree with this one, too, the Shelly and, and, and Macklin. And I know, you know, some people kind of look at Macklin as like, ah, yeah, look at, ah, look at the absolute state impact is in with Steve Macklin as the champion. But that's kind of an outdated thought because that guy has really been good. He has been very, very good for what feels like about a year or so now that it really kind of turned around and clicked with him. And I don't, you know, I don't know. Do you recall like a moment where it just kind of happened where it was like, Oh shit, this guy's actually pretty damn good because he was brought in as like your stereotypical. Here's a WWE failure guy. That's an impact. Now your classic. What is, you know, this guy doing in the impact zone type of thing or whatever. And he just kind of burst through that and improved and got better and got better at promos and got better confidence and got in uh, great shape and just kind of became a more well-rounded worker to the point where he's pretty damn good right now. And anybody who's like, ah, Steve Macklin, unbelievable. He's your champion. Like just doesn't get it. They, they're just not watching it because he has been really, really good. Do you, do you recall like if there was a moment or a match or, or, or uh, anything that was like the turnaround where you started to realize, wait a minute, this guy's actually pretty okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, first off, I'll forgive you for confusing him and Dak Draper as the Impact World Champion. <laughs> I, I was on so ago. much cough medicine, I can't even tell you. I was not doing well. That was It was three hours and 15 minutes into the show. I was on cough medicine. It needed to uh, it needed to end. Or no, that was at the beginning of the show. I was still on a ton of cough medicine. Uh, that's my problem. Uh, so, yeah, I, I apologize uh, to Steve Macklin and, and I guess Dak Draper as well, but really more Steve yeah. Macklin. Yeah, more Steve Macklin. Uh, yeah, I think... It was weird because he came in and the vignettes when he came in were sort of, you remember the, the Moxley ones when he was in New Japan uh, for the kind of Death Riders thing where it was like the shot of him at the bar drawing the kind of mock symbol on the, the you know, mm-hmm. uh, the bar and he sat on the stool. They kind of tried to do similar ones with Macklin where he was sort of sat in a shady kind of saloon bar with a shot of whiskey and he was obviously supposed to be this kind of serious dude and then he came in and just squashed people and then he beat up Pete Williams and it was like yeah fine but he was still just like a bloke in the forgotten sons um and then he got into this feud with Trey Miguel for the X Division title and I mean it was really cringe because he like kidnapped Trey and <laughs> yeah you know impacts <laughs> impacts worst booking excesses if you watch the TV which unfortunately I did I was like this sucks he seems like a loser and you'd get arrested for that normally so not the one. But then they had a match at Hard to Kill last year. I think it was. And they absolutely tore the house down. And Steve Macklin just worked with this intensity and ferocity where it was like, oh, wait, he's a dude. Like, he's not just mm-hmm. the jaggy guy that he looked like with the kind of the gear and the look and the promos and stuff. Like, this is a guy who's hitting, like, 
proper suicide dives to the outside and these like really impactful spears to the, the person in the, tr- the tree of woe. And it was like, he's a dude and he lost that match. But then, you know, he went on this run of facing, you know, Jay White and Chris Sabin, and he was doing stuff with Moose and Sammy Callahan. And in all of those things, he never looked out of place. He never looked like a guy that was getting artificially pushed in the right direction. Uh, he looked like he belonged there. And it's that confidence and presence had just grown and grown and grown to the point that it, it seemed obvious that he was going to beat Josh Alexander for the title. And that was going to be his story that, you know, Impact had taken a punt on him and it had taken two years, but he'd gotten to the top of the mountain and no one was going to stop him. And then obviously Josh Alexander got hurt. So like his story and the story they were trying to go with for him had to change. Now, did that influence the booking of this match with Alex Shelley? I I don't know, but I think it's made him a more interesting person to follow. Uh, And yeah, I mean, this world championship reign, the match he won it against Kushida, like genuinely a very good match. Uh, I went four and a quarter. His first defense against Rhino was brilliant because it wasn't this 50-50, you know, humor the old guy. He literally just beat Rhino up and then attacked him with a shovel after the match. And then Rhino got like stretched out and it was like, yeah, he just beat him up. It was great. Uh, And then, yeah, he had that match with PCO under siege, which I was very pleased to see was number four in Joe's uh, notebook round up the other day on flagshippatreon.com. And it was just, that was an incredible performance. Like as a match, I don't know, but as a performance and breaking the Muta scale and stuff. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) Obliterating the Muta scale. That boy was bleeding. Holy crap. Yeah. If you're a squeamish or don't like blood, uh, maybe skip that one. Yeah, maybe don't watch PCO and, and, and Macklin because Macklin is just a disaster in that match. But the visuals of 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 PCO, this you know Frankenstein's monster like you know feature uh, cre- creature uh, against Macklin, who's just bright red with blood all over his body. I mean, it was it like you said, a spectacle, just a scene. It, yeah, a, a Baldemel match. I don't know, you know. But as far as like death matches, plunder matches, you know, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, like it's it's an elite one this year for sure. And and. And yeah, Macklin's just the, the 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 look that he has, the crimson mass that he has, is just unbelievable. You you won't. You, it, it's actually it, it's quite literally unbelievable. I don't mean that in terms of just like the way of using it as like a way to describe. It's like unbelievable. The man is bleeding as much as he is and 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 staying alive and like not passing out. It, it's it's a lot of blood, a lot of blood. Oh, th- there's the visual at the end where Scott Demore is putting the title belt on him in the ring. His face is like tomato red. <laughs> in his own blood yeah. from like a baking tray that's like sliced his scalp open uh, and he's got the most incredible shit-eating grin on his face where it's like i beat him i beat frankenstein's monster i might die the amount of blood i've lost <laughs> right, I and probably Scott should get still to the here back. like a bum i probably should get to yeah. the back very soon or else i might die so yeah exactly elton john's come out here to give me my title belt just like he said he would it was brilliant like just an incredible visual an incredible performance you know you think a guy who's never really been a top of the card guy before gets a cut like that and loses that much blood like that could affect you in all sorts of ways Mm -hmm. and he just went into this like probably slightly scary marine killer mode where it was just like i'm gonna staple your mouth shut and it was it was so bizarre but so striking and i think i wrote in my review at the time that 
you know, when it comes to match of the year, the end of the year, of course, you know, star ratings and stuff are important. But for me, it's the matches that I remember the most from the year. So sometimes I get a match that might have only been four and a quarter or four and a half in real time will make my top 10 ahead of something that's say four and three quarters because I remember it more. There's so much good wrestling now. It's the stuff that cuts through that you're going to remember. And that yeah. Macklin PCO one will stay in my mind for a long time because it was just this visceral spectacle. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you, you bring up the point too, and then, then we'll talk a little bit more about Shelly here, but you bring up the point about Macklin and, it's true of probably a lot of wrestlers is that we 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 see guys and we sort of think and because obviously he was Steve Cutler in NXT and and was there forever as a member of the Forgotten Sons or whatever and and you know was was very forgotten you know what I mean in terms of like nobody really cared about the Forgotten Sons they had a couple matches here and there that were okay and they were in the Dusty Rhodes Classic and I was like all right you know there were little stuff here and there but but you know I think they made it to the finals of a Dusty Rhodes Classic one one year or whatever and lost to Aleister Black and Ricochet if I remember correctly I think that was the team I, I forget you know that that. Dusty Rhodes Classic kind of blend together for me. But, you know, they were like, yeah, all right, these guys are good and they're fine or whatever. But nobody would have expected that if you put people in these situations and 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 give them a chance and take a chance on them and say, you know what, screw it, let's try this guy in a main event. And I wish more companies would do that. And Impact is, is, is in a situation right now where they really have nothing to lose in terms of pushing somebody like a Steve Macklin or trying to push people to the next level. Because, like, I mean, what, what, what's going to happen? It's you know the, the the current state of Impact Wrestling isn't necessarily that they're you know living and dying by every single TV rating and every single pay per view buy or everything like that. Because if they were doing that, then I don't know things would be going too well. They they kind of you know they're they're they exist in this weird part of the ecosystem and this weird niche of the ecosystem where you know what role do they fill exactly? Who are they for? Who's like? You know what kind of TV you know should they do? What 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 should their presentation be or whatever? But that's the perfect opportunity to push a guy like a Steve Macklin and just see maybe this is going to work. You know who knows? And it did. And now they have got a guy, and they got a guy that they can go back to. Like you said, Alex Shelley wins this match, and and he's the new champion, and you know presumably we'll have it until Slam Anniversary uh, and face off with Nick Aldis or whatever. And, and that's good. You could do. But if you ever want to go back to Steve Macklin, if you ever want to tell the Steve Macklin, Josh Alexander story again, finish that story, you can do that. And you've made a guy. And now Steve Macklin is a dude forever. And I think people will see him at that level. And, and, and he deserved to be at that level. And I think more companies should be willing to do that with their world championship and be more willing to do that with their main events. And, and that's something that's kind of become a problem and, a, and, and an epidemic in all of wrestling is – it does feel like a lot of companies are just really scared of pushing new people and is scared of trying something new and seeing, ah, if it doesn't work, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Like, and just do it sometimes. You know, we saw New Japan Pro Wrestling do that last a couple weeks ago where they just said, you know what, fuck it, Dominion is, is main invented by Yota Suji. You know, and if ticket sales aren't great or or what, who cares? We're gonna make a guy. We're gonna see if this guy's a main eventer. And now we got this guy forever. And now you can go back to Yotsuji as a main eventer anytime you want. They made a guy. They're ready to go with him. You know, Steve Macklin is a great opportunity for for Impact again to take that risk and say, you know what? Yeah, we could go and push the same old guys over and over and over again. We can, you know, we'll talk about Bully Rain a little bit, but you know, you could have just said, oh, Josh Alexander's hurt. Uh, let's do Kushida because people know who he is or whatever. People are aware of him or whatever. But instead, they decided, and and Macklin's not a young guy he's almost 40 i think i think he's like 36 37 38 somewhere in that range but he's new in terms of fresh in terms of he hasn't been pushed to that level he hasn't been a main eventer he hasn't been a top top tier guy so you can tell a lot of different stories with a guy who's never been in that spot and i just wish more of wrestling was willing to take a risk that like an impact wrestling took here with steve macklin and just said you know what this guy's earned it he's deserved it he feels like he's ready 
instead of oh uh, we can't finish that story oh no uh, you know like so many other companies you know WWE included is so terrified to tell a new story or or try something new or, or do something different to upset the apple cart impact which has nothing to lose just said fuck it let's go for it and it worked and i think it works quite well and macklin now is a made dude and you can go back to macklin anytime you want and he'll forever be an impact world champion and yeah it, it it's 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 a good move by them and a smart move by them and like you said now that alex shelley does have that title there's a lot of stories to tell there because this isn't also a guy who's <laughs> never been the champion you know what i mean he's never been the world champion in impact wrestling which seems hard to believe for you know 400 500 matches that he's had in the company but now you have a whole new story to tell with him. And again, they didn't have to do that. They could have went back to, like you said, some familiar person or some familiar place or a veteran that everybody knows. But they said, fuck it, Alex Shelley, let's do it. Let's tell this story. And now who knows? Like, and, and I guess my question to you then is, where do you see this Alex Shelley thing going? He's finally reached that mountaintop. He's finally become the champion. What now for Alex Shelley? Because the whole story has been, you know, never good, but never great. You know, always one of the good workers of the, of the company, but never the best, never the guy to be at the top of the company. Well, now he's there. So how do you think you're, you know, if you're impact, what do you do with Alex Shelley uh, moving forward? How do, how do you kind of book him over the next couple of weeks and months? Oh yeah. That's a really interesting one. I think just to wrap on the, the Steve Mathlin thing, I think he benefited too from the fact he's not overexposed. Yes. Not just as a, a TV guy or a main eventer, but he's not overexposed as an indie guy. You know, like I love Mike Bailey, don't get me wrong, but he is everywhere. And I know earlier this year, like I had proper Mike Bailey fatigue because I was like, I've seen him have this match 58 times. Um, and Impact could have decided, like, Josh is hurt. Bailey's just had an incredible best of the Super Juniors. You know, he was in that number one contenders match against all odds. We could just have his team win it. Bailey's number one contender, and then he takes the belt off Macklin at Slammiversary, mm -hmm. and then we're back on course with this, you know, hot Canadian babyface at the top of the card. Um, and that's something they could have done. That would have felt like hot shot in it because, you know, he would have been nowhere to be seen. And, you know, uh, it just would have felt really weird. But, yeah, you know, I think that the Macklin stuff worked. And I think there is a really organic story for him moving forward. Like there, there was a bit of sacrifice when Josh Alexander got hurt and Macklin got drafted into team with, you know, Kaz and, and Rich Swan. And he was like, yeah, well, this is hard for me, too because I've been prepping for Josh Alexander for a year because he's basically been champion for a year. And now all my plans are out the window and I have to fight Kushida, who is a totally different opponent. You know, Carson Swan said, you know, bore off Steve. We're not interested, but it was like, as a character point, that's like got babyface potential because his destiny was thwarted by something beyond his control. So if he then has to work to get back to that point and then he does achieve it in the way he wanted to, I think there's a babyface thing for Steve Macklin there, which after the PCO hardcore thing, I think there's there's something else you can do there. But back to Alex Shelley, the point at hand, I think there are so many different angles you can go with this. I think, you know, there's the Aldis match at Slammiversary. Um, a key part of Nick Aldis's act, by the way, has gone because Jimmy Jacobs was his personal interviewer and he's fucked off. So uh, Nick's going to have to be interviewed by Gia Miller like everybody else, unfortunately. Um, poor bloke. But... Uh, I think, you know, Nick set up as that first contender. And do I see a world in which uh, Nick Aldis wins that title and he does it by cheating or a heel turn or some kind of cliched stuff where Shelley's finally got to the top of the mountain. He's been champion for, you know, 36 days. And then he gets screwed out of it by the sort of guy he couldn't get past 10 years ago. 
when Aldis had his first world title reign. And then you've got Aldis as this proper heel who's going to hopefully bring the heat, like Tyrus, at the top of the card. And then you can kind of pivot into the string of baby faces through the rest of the year. You've got Frankie Kazarian. You've got a rematch with Shelley. You've maybe got Sabin cashing in option C. And then you build to what I assume is the Bound for Glory main event. And that's Mike Bailey winning the title then, you know, in October, a number of months away where you can build that. Um, in theory, Josh Alexander would back towards the end of the year. I don't really know how long, a, you know, the triceps injury he had rules you out for. Uh, I'm not not an athlete, so I don't know those things. Um, never ripped a tricep in my 26 years. No, nah, believe it or not, yeah, uh, neither have I. So, yeah, I, uh, my body looks slightly different than Josh Alexander, so that might help me not tear a tricep. But, yeah, you never know. I, I don't know about yourself, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite as defined as, as, as Josh was, so. No, I sort of more look like the Michelin man. So, you know, I think, you know, I, my risk of pulling a tricep is fairly slim, uh, unlike myself. So, uh, yeah, I, but I think, you know, they could do the the short title reign and then Shelley just loses it to, to Aldis. And then mm-hmm. you've got that story with him of he got there. And then he couldn't even make it. Right. He's still tortured. You know? He's still tortured because it's like, yeah, he made it. But then, yeah, the Sami Zayn story, you know, the the, the classic exactly. story of wins the title at TakeOver and then immediately his friend turns on him and kills him. And and then he's going to lose it at the next, you know, TakeOver or whatever. And, and, and his friend's going to destroy him even more. So, uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's one I, way to do I mean, it. That's, and that's, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's a story they've done before. Chris Sabin's a one-time world champion, was champion for 28 days. James Storm was a one-time world champion, was champion for eight days. So it's like they've done that before where, you know, the the baby face, the super popular baby face gets that title win. But then they are that tortured soul who they're not destined to hold it for long. They're not the ace in the way that a Josh Alexander or an AJ Styles was. Um, I think that's one way to go. I think if you, you know, the, the, the Nick Aldis heel turn thing would be a cliched way to go. If you wanted to go really, really cliche, which they might, would be some kind of heel turn with Shelley and Sabin, where, you know, they won the titles on the same night, should be this really cool moment. And then Sabin cashes in option C and stabs his friend in the back or, or whatever. I don't know that I want them to go that way. I know I said I thought they were going to go that way with Shelley, but in that instance, it was a different story because it was about Shelley not being good enough. And then it, you know, being a heel turn out of frustration, whereas the other one, it's a, a heel turn out of jealousy. Um, I think you could do something with with Frankie Kazarian because they've got Impact have got their thousandth episode of TV coming up in September. So you would think there's going to be a big main event for that. So doing something like Shelley Kazarian thousand in the episodes. main event of that show. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. Yeah, company really was think. almost dead like a month in, and now we're gonna get our thousandth episode of unbelievable. Exactly, but that that show is presumably gonna be you know headlined by kind of some big title match, which you would think it's gonna be a Shelley Kazarian or a Shelley Saban if they have still got the title on Shelley. So I don't know. I think there's loads of different ways they can go with it, and I think that's what makes it so much more interesting. You know, if Macklin had retained, it's then like, right, well, he's facing Nick Aldis at Slammiversary, and then he probably loses. And then Nick Aldis is going to be the baby face, and then he's going to have to fight, God forbid, Bully Ray or Uh. some other clogger heel, like Moose or whatever. And it's like, I just don't care. Like, it feels like a kind of like we're playing a board game where everybody gets a turn. 
Uh, whereas the Shelley thing, it's like, well, you can give him a short reign and then you're telling a different story and then you can pivot in a different direction. And I think it's a lot of fun and it's going to be interesting to play out. And it actually gives the promotion a hook for people to want to watch or at least keep a passing interest. Whereas I think before, as good as the work Macklin was doing was, no one gave a crap. So, you know, that's the kind of balance they're working with, I suppose. Right. Or, yeah, even if people didn't give a crap, it was also like, the oh, geez, like, look how bad that company is. Steve Cutler's their world champion or whatever, which, you know, hopefully if, if people are watching now, we'll realize that, yeah, Steve Cutler's their world champion, but he's he's completely transformed his his, his entire persona and his body and the, and just everything about him has, has radically changed. But, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things you can do. Uh, with Alex Shelley there, I would have said if Saban hadn't won his X Division Championship match, or like you said, the, the inverse, if if Saban had won and Shelley hadn't, that leads to a pretty good way to have them break up and, and, and feud. I think it's going to be tough to do that story if Saban is the X Division champion, but like you said, there's that option C, and there's always the idea that like, well, shit, I want to be you know the main event, I want to win the world championship. That's what option C is. Is yeah, I have this X Division title and that's great, but I got an opportunity to win the world title, so I'm going to take it. And and I guess that is a a, a real cool story and I, I think I'd be okay with that I honestly think like I know that might be a little hack to have like Shelly versus Saban or whatever but I don't know I feel like we're, we're it's it's probably a good time to do that I think it maybe works and it it, it makes logical sense as well Saban also like you said had a very short title reign never really had a ton of time at the top and he maybe sees this opportunity as shit I can do this I've been X division champion I've been X division champion nine times I don't really need this title ever uh, again it's nothing against the title but like I want another shot at that world title. I want to be the guy that's at the top of the company. So I, I, I like that story. I don't know. I don't know if they have the balls to do that. I don't know if they're they're thinking that that's the way they can go. But I think I kind of like that of all the the the, the plans more so than <sighs> Nick Aldis winning the title. He he looks like a world champion. He wears the hell out of a suit. I like Nick Aldis as a champion, but I don't know if I'm super excited about Nick Aldis. You know post anniversary impact world champion. I, I don't know if I'm, I, I can sell myself on that, unfortunately, even though that's probably the most likely scenario. Yeah. I mean, he's supposedly only on a short-term contract. I know wrestlers are born liars and we shouldn't believe anything they say. And as a man with trust issues, wrestling is probably the worst thing to follow. <laughs> yes. Because uh, I just got chronic detest of everybody uh, and fear that I'm being worked all the time. Well, then wrestling's uh, I, great I'm for just... you. <laughs> it's a great person <laughs> to be a fan of then. <laughs> it's just, I never post that online. I'm not one of those people who like, oh, it's a work. And like, I'm like, I probably think that. I just never say it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if he is on a short-term thing and it's literally just to put over uh, Alex Shelley, then then that's a cool thing for sure because then he's beaten a former world champion. Um, and you're kind of, you know, giving more credibility to that reign and, you know, the, the Macklin thing, because he never beat Alexander, he never beat the man. They were trying to tell this story that his title reign always had this asterisk or caveat to it, that he wasn't the real dude. Like, he only got it because of circumstance. Whereas if Shelley then beats Aldis, it's like, well, I've beaten a legit guy now. Yeah. So then I'm... Um, and look, they they could do the the Shaven... Shaven. They could do the Shelley Sabin thing as like a friendly competition, you know, where it's like, you know what? You know, I love you, buddy. You're my mate, but I want to go for that title. Because... Right, you understand. Look, remember how much this meant to you. Well, it's going to mean the same thing to me. You know, I mean, I, I, I've I've only been a champion for 30 days or whatever. I've only been there once, and that was you know 10 years ago at this point. So you know what? I want it again. I want it. Yeah, you can do. It. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a blood feud. Chris Saban doesn't have to kidnap Alex Shelley and bloody him in a stairwell or whatever. He could just say, "Man, hey, look, 
it's just business, not personal. Like I, I, I have this opportunity. I have this ability to do this. I got to take it. You know what I mean? And I think that's, I, I would honestly, I like that story a hell of a lot more than a Nick Aldis story or bully or any, I mean, Jesus uh, Christ, much better than the bully story. I'll tell you that. And the thing with, with Shelley and Saban, if you wanted to, to go into impact law, um, they've only, if my memory serves correctly, they've only ever had two singles matches in impact together before. And Shelley's two and up. The first one was the first match in Impact I ever saw, which was Genesis 2009, when Shelley won the X Division title. Uh, and he conned Sabin. The finish was basically he feigned being injured. So then Sabin checked on him and then he rolled him up for the three. Uh, and then the second one was last year. They faced off to get the shot at Josh Alexander at Emergence last year, which again, Shelley won. So it's like, well, he's 2-0. and oh. So then if, if Sabin cashes in option C, it's like, well, I know I've never beaten you before and I know you're my friend, but you've got what I want and I want to be a two-time champion. Yeah. So we're just going to have to go for it. And then, you know, they can work with a real edge and you can do a lot more interesting stuff with that. So I think, yeah, there's a really fun way you can tell that story and that's a direction I'd like them to go. But, you know, there is this kind of all this seemingly obvious heel turn thing that that seems to be looming but look maybe maybe it's a short-term thing and maybe the the wwe hiring freeze is going to end and he's going to shuffle his way down to the nxt thunder hustle or whatever it's called so i'm, I'm uh I, I i wanted to check on it real quick so obviously like you mentioned last year shelly and saban had a match at uh on on, on impact uh number one contendership uh match that's one that shelly won obviously to get the the match at slammiversary uh, and then, like you said, TNA Genesis, it was a tournament final for the X Division title. Shelly wins, uh, defeats Saban. But because it's Impact Wrestling and TNA, of course, they had a bunch of like mundane bad matches that you, nobody ever remembers uh, as well in their history. So just wanted to point that out in case people were like, actually, they've wrestled each other seven times. But like none of these ever matter. Uh, Impact Wrestling, uh, episode 24 in 2004, uh, Chris Saban defeats Alex Shelley in two minutes and 13 seconds. So <laughs> I'm sure that one was really a one for the ages. Uh, TNA Hard Justice 2006. X Division number one contendership match. Uh, Chris Saban defeats Alex Shelley in eight minutes. That was probably okay. Uh, this one, I uh, don't know if you knew about this one. I didn't know about this one. Zero one max in Shinjuku face <laughs> in August of 2006. Uh, Zero one's junior tournament first round matchup. Saban versus Shelley. 19 minutes and one second. Saban getting the win over Shelley. That that probably rules, by the way. 19 minutes in zero one. Saban and Shelley in 2006. That's probably really awesome. Uh, they would come back uh, in 2006 couple weeks later and have a four minute match on impact episode 116 and then on episode uh 173 of impact they had a one minute no contest i'm sure like somebody came out and attacked both guys and said ah get these juniors out of here get these vanilla midgets out of here let's get some real stars out so uh there you go that was um the history but yeah for all intents and purposes the last two ma- the, those are the most important ones the 2009 and 2022 like you mentioned but just in case somebody's yeah. like actually we can we can, re- we can retcon it to being two and oh we'll yeah right because those other matches fine. are stupid and except for that zero one one which i i am going to find after the show because that sounds awesome 19 minutes in zinjuku face shelly and save it i uh i might not be on tape but if it's on tape i yeah. uh, i gotta try to watch it so <laughs> But uh, yeah, let's let's talk yeah. about some other parts of the show. Uh, which, by the way, that that main event, real good. Go out of your way to check that one out. I think uh, eight point. Uh, let me see, eight point zero eight. The last I checked on Cage Match. Let me see what it is. 
Uh, 8.80. That's what I meant to say. 8.80, which is pretty damn good for an impact mm-hmm. match. I mean, you know what I mean? They don't usually do very well on these. They're not usually super high. Uh, the, sh- the show itself is a 7.32, so that's how you know it's a pretty high-end uh, one. But uh, that main event, definitely one uh, to check out. Otherwise, let's uh, let's let's we'll start at the beginning of the show and then kind of work our way uh, back towards the main event. I, I don't have a ton of thoughts about some of the early stuff, so we can kind of quickly go through <laughs> some of these. <clears throat> Not a whole lot well, on the uh, the undercard that I really uh, uh, was too fond of, but um, well, Rich, I have to I have to do my Joe Lanza impression here. Did you watch the pre-show? I, you know, I wanted to, I really did, and then I didn't. I know that uh, my man Joe Hendry was on the pre-show. Oh. I did not watch Joe Hendry, and then I, there was another match that I saw the two Whoa. people, and I was like, "Nope." Oh, it was Kylan mm-hmm. King and 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 Nevea, and I was like, "Nope, no. <laughs> I'm good." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, just quick hit of thoughts on those. So the Kylan King Nevea, I think Kylan King is great, and I think she's a great pickup for Impact Wrestling. Her gimmick with Taylor Wilde is horrendous they're called the coven because they're witches mm. and uh, mm. taylor wilde stands at ringside shuffling her tarot cards <laughs> and this is true i have never true, had a more i have never had a more visceral reaction to watching wrestling than the first time she brought the tarot cards out i was like furious i was like that's what i did when i was like nine and took my Yu-Gi-Oh cards to school and i felt i should have been picked on then and you're a fully grown adult. Like this needs this behavior should be drummed out of you. Um, not good. Hopefully, with Jimmy Jacobs gone, that kind of cringy supernatural stuff will go away. Um, yeah, Nevaeh first match anywhere in like thirteen months. First match <laughs> in Impact in two years. She had about eight left feet, and this was not good. So no, you don't need bad. to watch that. Um, Joe Hendry. Uh, I went to university in Scotland, so I have probably seen more Joe Hendry matches than <laughs> anyone else alive, other than maybe like his mum. <clears throat> and I am, at, uh, you know, <clears throat> sorry, dying. no, you're good. No problem. The lander, the lander cough. Um, <laughs> it must be me. I must. It must be me that causes <laughs> this. I apologize. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen more Joe Hendry than anyone else needs to, and I'm like an unabashed Joe Hendry mark. Um, some of this impact stuff has just not been good though. Like his promos have not been good and there's been a real dearth of quality entrance music. Um, I was going to give you like a list of his greatest hits, but then I realized a lot of them were sung about Brit res people that are very much canceled. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to come on here and then be like, you know what? I really love the song he sang about this dreadful person. Yeah. This is a horrific human being. Canceled. <laughs> right. Uh, the one he did about Drew Galloway, really good. Um, you know, there were a couple of other ones that were very entertaining. But this one on Dirty Dango genuinely was very good. Uh, and I enjoyed it an awful lot. The match, however, sucked because Dango is doing this thing where he's like, basically, I was a member of the fashion police and I was Fandango because I was paid to be. Now I've got loads of money, but I still keep getting paid but I genuinely don't want to wrestle. Wrestling fans suck. Wrestling sucks. And he wants the old Iron Sheet treatment. He gets paid to stay at home. Mm. But the problem is his matches are then worked like that, where it's like knee drop, work the crowd, and it's like, Dango, brother, you're not bringing the heat. Go away. Um, Hopefully that's all over now, and Hendry can move on to, you know, something a bit more interesting. Yeah, but, n- Nothing gets you more excited than I don't want to be here. Wrestling sucks. It's like, all right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, Edgy. That's the gimmick we all love. I hate my job. <laughs> right. It's I like, hate my like, job. Wrestling this is escapism. thing that you paid for is stupid. Okay. Yeah, it's 
wrestling is escapism from our real lives and our real shoot jobs. And then you're watching it and the bloke's like, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I'd rather sit at home. And it's like, you know what, buddy? We'd all love to do Yeah, that. you know what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go sit home, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like the Joe Hendry character, but it's starting to, I don't know. I, every time I've seen it in, in the most recent, like, couple of months it's just i don't know it's it's i don't know if it was just like a one it just hit at the right time and it was good for like a couple months or whatever but i don't know that i'm i don't know that i'm feeling it right now it's just kind of i watched a little bit of his his entrance and i was just like yeah i don't i don't think i need to really be watching this so unfortunately andrew i I skipped most of the pre-show because i saw one match for two seconds and went nope i'm good and then i saw Hendry cut a bad promo and i was like nope i'm good and i knew he was facing dango and i was like yeah don't need that at all so uh sorry i did not watch uh the pre-show but I saw every <clears throat> bit of the actual show itself. So, again, we'll start. We'll, we'll do quickly the, the undercard and then talk about the matches that, that really do uh, uh, deserve a little bit of time. But uh, Frankie Kazarian, Eddie Edwards was your opener. Um, Eddie Edwards playing full-on heel now, by the way. If you, if you haven't watched them uh, recently, him, he's there with uh, his wife, Alicia Edwards. And they're just your typical you know heel manager, heel worker guy and, and Kazarian's kind of the you know returning baby face he, he he went to the top he was in AEW you know he's left and he came back to impact and like you said there, there there's a case to be made that they are building him up maybe not to win the world title but to at least you know contend for it or, or, or be in a big match there but he gets the win uh 12 minutes and 30 seconds it's I mean it's Kazarian and Eddie Edwards so it's it's solid work but you know it's it's certainly not Kazarian of uh or I should say it's certainly not Eddie Edwards of you know 10 years ago those days are done, and, and I don't know if his body can even handle that anymore. He's kind of moved on to this different role. And Kazarian's solid as hell, but, yeah, you're never going to get, like, a blow-away, blow-away match with these guys it, it's, at, at this point in their careers. But I thought solid as hell and, and a decent opener. Yeah, it was it was fine. Uh, I kind of felt Kaz looked old. Like, I don't know whether it was the hair. He looked really thin on top, and I don't know if that was the problem or the fact he just looked tired at the end. But he looked – I mean, like, he's in his mid-40s, which I know is not old, but, like – you know what I mean? He was showing that kind of age a bit more than I felt he has before. Um, and I guess the other thing is just the finish was like really clunky. And I don't know if it was them or the ref or what, but it was like, I think Eddie hit a superplex and then Kaz tries to go for like this leg lace pin on the floor. But then both guys have both shoulders on the floor. The referee counts three, but neither of them like kicked out or moved. So then he's just like, oh, it was only two, carry on. And then it's kind of, they had to like weirdly reset. Eddie goes for a Tiger driver and then he gets just rolled up and then it was over. And I was just like, oh, like it didn't feel like that was how it was supposed to end. Or, you know, maybe it was supposed to end on that superplex spot where it was like these two Killer Kowalski students can't beat each other. And then they set up a rematch for Slammiversary or something. Um it just kind of it felt a bit flat to me in the end, but I don't know if that was just kind of my viewing of the, the finish. And I will say one thing, and, and, and I kind of agree with you, the finish did come across a little weird. This was a whole show where finishes came across weird. I don't know mm. that it was that, like, the fans – it was a weird crowd on this night. I, I, I don't know if these fans were fully engaged with Impact in terms of knowing what the current stories were, knowing what the current wrestlers were. It felt like a crowd that la- – everybody in the entire Ohio Expo Center – basically hadn't watched Impact in like two years and then just showed up at this show and was like, all right, let's see what this is. Because they were like, everybody that was a big in the company like two or three years ago was over like hell. 
and all the newer people or the people that are telling new stories or different stories or different characters or whatever didn't feel like they were over at all. And it was a real tough – like it was really hard for a lot of these people, uh, to, to a lot of the wrestlers, to get people into their matches, which kind of sunk because there was a lot of really good work here and I thought high-level work. And it just didn't feel like the crowd was fully – I don't know. Did, did you get that same vibe too that they just weren't a, a real engaged crowd yeah, despite it being a pretty decent show? <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. I think I'd sort of Mandela affected it in my head that they must have run Ohio for one of their, you know, uh, sort of monthly events last year. They must have been to some kind of rinky dink bingo hall and done, you know, no surrender. But then when I was looking on cage match, this was like the first kind of pay-per-view event they'd done in Ohio since lockdown 2011. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and Yeah. And the last time they were in Columbus, Ohio, a fun fact for you, was a house show. And the opener was a four-way that involved Alex Shelley, Robbie E, Max Buck, and Jeremy Buck. So, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> where are those yeah. guys been? Yeah, speaking of those, where the hell are those guys been? They've been, they've been ghosts yeah, exactly. ever since they left. Yeah, yeah where, where's Robbie E and Cookie? Um, but, yeah, like, they'd not been there in a long time, but I somehow assumed they had. And... There are a lot of Ohio people on this show or people who work in Ohio regularly. You know, you've got Callahan's mob. You've got Austin and Bay who've done a lot of stuff in Revolver. Shelly and Saban have done a lot of stuff in Revolver. Yeah, Trey Miguel's an Trey Ohio Miguel, guy. Yeah. Um, Jason Hotch, who obviously we're going to talk about in a bit, he's an Ohio guy as well. Uh, and it was like, it didn't really seem to react to any of them in a big way other than sammy callahan like that was the one where you got the really loud crowd and you know maybe the world the, the world tag title match but yeah they were weird but as you say they weren't helped by the fact that two of the finishes in particular on this show mm-hmm. like absolutely sucked the life out of the match <laughs> including one that i was convinced was a fuck up I, you, this oh, is the one God. you you thought the main event was kind of a messed up like yeah that didn't seem like it was right I am still to this day. I, I, I the eight four one was that was not how that was supposed to end. I'm positive. I don't know what happened. I don't know. We'll talk about it when we get there. I'm still perplexed at what I saw uh, in, in that match by everything. I'm perplexed by all 19 minutes of that match, but uh, we'll get to that uh, in a moment. Uh, ABC Ace Austin and Chris Bay uh, defend the Impact World Tag Team Titles, like you said, against the Good Hands, Jason Hotch uh, and John Skyler. This was surprisingly good, and I'm not surprised that Ace Austin and Chris Bay were good. And I'm not surprised that Skyler and Hotch are good because I think they're pretty solid too. I just didn't like in my brain thought, yeah, those guys will have good match. Like I, I don't know. I just thought like, yeah, it'll be a little clunky. I don't know if those guys are going to work. And it worked great. It was a real. I mean, that that's a a hell of a sleeper match. That if you're skipping through the undercard, you're skipping through the show, you might not watch everything. Make sure you watch this match because you'll be stunned at how good this is. I mean, they really, really. I mean, it's not like a match of the year contender. It's not anywhere near that. It's not even the best match on the show. But I was just stunned at how well worked it was and how much better it was than I came in thinking it was going to be. And that's not a slight against either team who I think are pretty good. I just didn't, I didn't see it with those two teams. And then when it was done, it was like, yeah, those teams work great together. Yeah. I absolutely loved this. You know, like I've, I've written a lot about Austin and Bay uh, on the website. I absolutely love them. And I think the story impact told of their kind of evolution as a, a thrown together team they had matches with the guns and then they obviously went to super junior tag league and then they came back and it was like, no, we're, we're a team now. Like we know we're a team. We know we're good enough. Uh, and then they beat the guns and it was almost like the first time they pushed them close and they were a new team. The second time it felt more like equals wrestling each other. And then the third time it was the passing of the torch moment. So I've loved the elevation of Austin and Bay and this was actually event-wise the anniversary of their first match together in Impact, which I thought oh wow was okay cool. yeah, um, 
uh, it was it was 11 months because against all odds last year was july rather than june but in terms of show wise it was the anniversary of their first tag match together which i thought was really cool um yeah this match was great i love brian myers as this kind of coach for these two because i think it plays into the fact that obviously he does a lot of training with creator pro and all that sort of thing um and it's also the best use for brian myers because i don't need to see him work at this point but him stood on the outside coaching encouraging and then hitting like one interference spot on the outside that i thought worked really well um but yeah the, the one i wanted to give praise to is jason hotch because i think he is excellent i genuinely do i've said that for ages um but his selling in this match was fantastic particularly for the finish um you know like austin's kind of springboard hurricane rana i find really clunky because it looks like he used to do it really quickly and then he'd botch it. So now it's almost like he slowed it down. It's like step one, mm-hmm. arc my legs over. Step two, you need to grab my feet. Step three, I'll pull you over. And it feels like it's operating in slow motion. But his sell for that, the cutter from Chris Bay and then the fold for the finish, brilliant. And I think he's a proper, proper prospect and a really good pickup for them. And I think him and Skylar are a really fun team. Yeah, so, yeah, and, and a unique well team, uh, a team that hasn't been, you know, you know, done to death, and people have seen them a thousand times or whatever. So yeah, no, there's, there's, there's like always a benefit. I, one of the things I like about, I really want from more of wrestling is like push acts that don't get pushed everywhere else. You know, I mean, push unique acts and and uh, and do stuff like that. So uh, next match here is the dog collar match: Masha Slamovich defeating Killer Kelly in 11 minutes and 51 seconds. This was this just did not work. I don't know if it was. It was half the bad crowd who just clear. I, I don't know if this crowd had never heard of these two women. I've seen these. I don't know what it was, but I thought the build has been pretty okay. And I went and bought, you know, went went back, and some of the vignettes were, were well done. And I was like, all right, you know, this this has the chance to be pretty good. And it's a dog collar match, and uh, and obviously Masha Slamovich has a history of, of of doing death match stuff, so you have a lot of opportunity there. Uh, Killer Kelly can can you know can do some pretty cool stuff too. I'm always a pretty big fan of her, but. These are two good workers in a good match stipulation, a good build that just didn't work. I don't know what it was. It just didn't have the intensity. I don't know if that dog collar was maybe a hindrance and maybe we're all going in with the expectation that, okay, well, the last couple of dog dog collar matches we've seen have been like AEW ones, you know, the MJF versus CM Punk and, you know, MJF versus Dan, these, these great, you know, these all time great dog collar matches. And then we get this and it's just like, yeah, that's, that's all right. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just an okay match. And I don't know. I, where, where did you land on this one? Cause I just, when it was done, I was just like, yeah, I really, I really, really expected a little bit more there. And I just, I just did not get it. Yeah. I think this was probably the low point for the crowd, which definitely didn't help. I thought as a match, it was fine. Uh, I thought they did the best they could story wise. So uh, I can never remember who did this spot first or like the person it's referred to. I want to say it's like Owen or Bret Hart where you're in a sleeper hold and then you use the turnbuckles to basically reverse it into a pin. Um, essentially, the first match they had on Impact, Slamovich kind of walked into the corner and then used the turnbuckle to flip over and sneak out a pin while she was in the sleeper. Um, so they kind of had a callback to that in this one, which was a near fall. Killer Kelly was using Slamovich's signature move. She got a great near fall. And then, um, you know, eventually Slamovich put her away. I thought it was fine, a little over three stars. But, yeah, they didn't make as much of the stipulation. Or, as you say, they didn't make as much of it as I thought they would because the last two dog collar matches I've seen, or probably the last three, if you go 
uh, would have been Cody, Brody Lee. Oh, right. Yeah. MJF, yeah. Right. CM Punk and then Briscoe's FTR. It's like they set the bar at a ridiculously high level that these two women, no offense, were probably never going to get to. No, especially not the third match from the bottom on a, you know, a random impact. It, so they, they might have set them up for failure a little bit here where yeah. just a normal match between these two would have probably sufficed. And like you said, they, they did a lot of stuff. They did references to their old matches. They did references to spots. They people were doing their own signatures. I think this match, it, it was a twofold. The, the crowd just didn't care, didn't know anything about the two women, didn't know the story, had no interest in seeing these two wrestle. And then the stipulation, like you said, was you know maybe a hindrance of we're all thinking, oh, man, these two are going to rip each other apart and Masha's going to be bloody and, bloody and busted open and going nuts and Killer Kelly's going to be you know being a, a, an absolute stoke-cold killer. And it was like they did a few spots. They did some hangman spots, and they did a couple of things here and there. It just didn't have that oomph that you really – that we've come to expect, like you said, of the last three dog collar matches. And that's, it's, you know, it, it sucks because it's like, you know, that's a, a tough standard to follow, but man, it's a standard to follow. You know, it, it's, it's when you look around and, and when people now see a, a dog collar match in modern wrestling, they're going to think those matches and they're, you know, you got to deliver at least to that level. And they just, they, they just didn't, but I, I do not think the crowd gave them any favors either because a little bit of a hotter crowd may have melt, made this feel a little bit better. Hey, they made it felt a little bit better about what they were doing, but it just, it just, this one just didn't work. No. And I mean, all of that after when Kelly issued the challenge and impact, the vignette for her issuing that challenge was among the most sexual wrestling vignettes yeah, I've seen. In <laughs> Good my- Lord. I was like, Impact have gone into customs. Like, I feel like I clicked on the Which, wrong tab. Honestly, here. not the worst idea. If I'm Impact, it might not be the worst, you know, making a little extra money on the side for, for everybody involved. I mean, yeah, you know. The yeah, checks there was clear. a bit of the old, you know, a bit of the old Captain Crate tugging the collar when I saw that <laughs> It one. was, was a like, lot what? of tugging, yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounded terrible. I apologize. <laughs> Moving you can on. edit that out on the, uh, the Spotify version. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> oh boy, that sounded terrible. That was the worst uh, ever I could possibly. Yeah. Use, I don't but... even have any spreader bar stories. For you, so... <laughs> yeah, follow up, Andrew. Come on, what do you got there? So, uh, uh, but yeah, no, that was uh, <laughs> quite the quite the thing. But uh, yeah, match just didn't didn't deliver. And there's a little bit of blood and stuff. But uh, yeah, you, yeah, you you kind of expect. I didn't I didn't expect like a you know a Macklin PCO level of blood, but you at least uh, expected a little bit more. Uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't quite work there. So uh, move on to Chris Saban and Trey Miguel. A hell of a match here. Uh, Saban defeats Trey Miguel to win the X Division Championship, 13 minutes and 12 seconds. Trey Miguel, and this, this again, I'll, I'll you know, bring it up. I brought it up with Steve Macklin, and I'll bring it up again with Trey Miguel. If you haven't watched Impact in a while or you haven't seen Trey Miguel on the Indies or whatever, this guy is so much better than whatever, whatever the last time that you watched him. If you're thinking, ah, you know, it's been a long time since I watched Trey Miguel, whatever that last time is, he's so much better than the last time you saw him because he is exceptional right now. He is in there move for move, hold for hold with Chris Sabin, and every bit as good as Chris Sabin along the way. And so good that like halfway through the crowd, you know, started chanting and, and rooting for Sabin. And then halfway through kind of realized, you know what, actually. I want Trey, we want Trey Miguel to win. And then like people were chanting for Trey and, and getting in on his near falls and get and, and more rooting for him uh, at the end because I think people are just little by little getting this guy and understanding this guy and watching this guy and, and, and really seeing what level of talent that he has. But yeah, I, I'll say that. If you have not watched Trey Miguel in a while, he is so much more improved than the last time you saw him because this guy is getting so good. And I thought he was... So good in this match and tremendous. And and that's nothing, it's no slight on Saban, obviously, who's awesome. More more that Trey Miguel was able to 
go with Saban, that makes me kind of look at Trey Miguel and say, yeah, this guy's got it. This guy has gotten so good over the last couple of years, and, and a lot of people <clears> are not <throat> paying attention or watching. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when he first came in, he was obviously the third guy in the Rascals with uh, Desmond Xavier, and then Zachary went, so I'm never sure if he's cancelled or not. Um, uh, both cancelled and be. not cancelled. It depends on your, uh, yeah, it, it's sort of, but not really, and kind of, but also no, and yeah, I don't, I don't know anymore, so. Um, but yeah, like when he came in, he was just really goofy, and I think he was still billed as like the Fresh Prince of Midair. Um, which was a great nickname, but like he just he hadn't put all the pieces of the puzzle. Right. You're together. a dork. It's a good nickname, but you're also yeah. a dork if that's your nickname. Yeah, he then went away, came back, and he got better and better and better. And then last year he had a match with Mike Bailey. I think it was actually against all odds last year, which was just absolutely brilliant. You know, uh, probably the best X Division match all year that didn't involve Josh Alexander. Um, I don't think it was actually any last year with Josh Alexander. He's just the best. Irrelevant. Um, yeah, Trey was just incredible. And when he had the title, it was like, this dude's great. And he's so good as a heel because he's just got that douchebag face and expression where you're just like, I want to slap him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So and he's from Ohio him laying too, into which, that. <laughs> which sucks too. So yeah. Exactly. It's like he lays into that and he's cheated and he's got the spray paint and he's like, oh, I'm a generational talent and I'm this and that and the other. And Saban's like, well, no, you're disrespectful. You know, you've disrespected the lineage of the title, the former champions. And then that played into the story because Saban hit the Angels' wings and he hit the Styles Clash mm -hmm, and then, mm -hmm. you know, eventually put him away uh, with a cradle shock. And I thought it was nice that Trey actually hit a cradle shock of his own. Almost like you've disrespected the lineage of the title, but you're still trying to use the moves of the eight-time champ to right. put that eight-time champ away, which I thought was nice. Um, but, yeah, this was so smooth. And just such a pleasant watch. It was just like, this is when wrestling is just done well by two people who are good at it. It was lovely. Well, and, and it speaks to Impact, too, having that history. Like we said, they're, they're about to have a thousand episodes. They've been around for forever. They've been around for 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it seems unbelievable that they've been around for as long as they've been around. But uh, when you have that, you can go and do these sort of stories. And I like that impact. They did it with Josh Alexander last year as well, where, you know, he was going through a lot of the old finishers of, of you know, past champions or whatever. And you have this here where, where, where Chris Saban's like, you know what? You're going to disrespect the X Division. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go through the Rolodex of every one of these legends of the past. I'm going to do their moves to you and we're going to do, you know, and then, yeah. And then Trey Miguel, like you said, as a nod to Saban and a nod to, you know, Saban was right that you know this guy's disrespecting it, but you know deep down he, he he respects it. He knows he does. He's just he's putting on the front that he doesn't respect this. He's putting on the front that he doesn't really give a shit. He's putting on the front that that he doesn't really care for this, but he does because then he goes and 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 it starts hitting those moves, and that's ultimately you know what what he tries to do to win this match or whatever. But then Saban does just put it away uh, and win the title, and ends you know Trey Miguel's very long, very good. Uh, X Division run, and he's a made guy as well. Uh, he's a guy that if you ever want to do anything more with him in this company, I don't know if he's like world champion level. Uh, he, but I think you can probably do a little bit more with this guy if you really want to, because uh, he's got it, and and he, the improvement that he's made over the last couple of years is, is is pretty profound. Yeah, I don't I don't want to liken him to Sammy Guevara because I think that's lazy, and I I personally think he's better than Guevara, but I think it's it's in that sense where he is better as a heel. And I think he's kind of that upper mid-card level heel. But if you're ever going to put him in the main event scene, he's probably a bit better as a baby face underdog challenger that loses. Um, you know, which is kind of the same thing with Guevara, where like him as a heel isn't the top of the card thing, but 
him as an underdog babyface that's going to get beat probably is a you know like a one show program so i think miguel's probably in that slot now but i think for him now he's dropped the title they're probably going to pivot in a different way and maybe do something with you know the rascals because obviously wentz is kicking about might be cancelled might not and obviously myron reed isn't with mlw anymore so he's someone else they could bring in and maybe kind of make them a, a tag and do something with ABC and the Rascals and stuff, yeah. which I think would be quite fun. Is he is he officially done? Because that world never stops, though, of MLW. Are sure that Myron Reed is done with MLW? Well, after you his... never know. I, I am I am fully caught up on MLW because I cannot wait, cannot wait for Never Say Never in a few weeks' time, Rich. Oh, that course. preview is going to be hitting the website, and you're going to be hyped, I'm sure. <laughs> I cannot wait. Yeah, they're also... They might win this freaking lawsuit against the WWE. We're going to talk about it next week. <laughs> I, they might do this. I don't know. Like MLW might actually like turn the entire wrestling industry on its face. It, it's I can't. It's if this is the result is ML fucking W like totally transforming the wrestling business. Um, my my oh my. But we'll talk about that next week as, as we get some more details. Yeah. But uh, oh, Al, the promoter of the year. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. You might do this. They might win that damn lawsuit. Uh, Impact World title number one contendership match, 8-4-1 match. It's it's simple, really, and it actually was. The 8-4-1 was simple. It was an eight-man tag that would then result in a four-way match. Matt, John McKee, Matt called it a fatal four-way every opportunity he had, which, you know, whatever. And then, ultimately, the man that wins is the number one contender for the match. So they it, it was like... Ah, the, the the rules are simple, and then everyone's like, "Ah, oh, here we go." <laughs> and then they were they were very simple. It made all the sense in the world, no problem at all. Uh, so it was Nick Aldis. Uh, he eventually, you know, what it was is Bully Ray, Jonathan Gresham, Heath, and Nick Aldis, and they defeated the team of Moose, Mike Bailey, Rich Swan, and PCO in ten minutes and thirty six seconds. Let's talk about that part of the match first. The eight man tag. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, know. What are <laughs> those? What are those? What do the what do Mike Bailey, PCO, Rich Swan, and Moose talk about? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I have no. Well, idea. to be like, fair, what do Nick Aldis, Bully Ray, Heath, and Jonathan? Gresham yeah, talk about? I can imagine Jonathan Gresham just like sitting back there with Nick Aldis and Bully Ray, just like oh god. And then you know, yeah, it's it's unique team. And that was fun. That aspect was fun of like, oh, how are these guys going to interact with each other? What are they going to do? Type of thing. And and. You know, there was a little bit of that, but I thought the work in that first part of the match was just weird. It just it, like a lot of really talented people put in maybe not the best spots and, and, and Gresham, who's great and Bailey, who's great and Swan, who's great and and Moose, who I still really like. And yeah, PCO, you can use him for stuff. It just I don't know. It was kind of weird and kind of clunky. And they were really trying to tell the story more of teams that aren't going to work with each other and no one's going to work with one another and nobody really wants to help their team win, but they have to help their team win because that's how they become the number one contender. And and it just ultimately it was just like, all right, I just want this thing to end. I don't really care. Let's just get to the fatal four way. Let's get to the four way match. Cause I, it's just, I don't need eight people all not trusting the other person type of thing. And that, and there was way too much of that in that first part of the, the, the match. And, and also it was just all about bully Ray. Yeah, like, a lot of bully Ray. Yeah. I, I know I'm, I know I've banged the drum about this in columns, previews, reviews. The man literally the last time they were live two weeks before put his boss through a burning table. Yet here he was two matches away from headlining one of their biggest shows of the year with no explanation. He just put Scott through the table and it was like, well, crack on Mark. No one cares. Um, and it was like, right, well, in kayfabe, why doesn't everyone beat up Scott Damore? Because they clearly just get what they want, and he's a pushover. <laughs> right, right, right. It was just like, I, I hated it, and I hated the fact that he was in it with no explanation, no suspension, nothing. Like, all I want in wrestling, I know it's dumb, and I know it's silly, but if you give logical ex- 
explanations for stuff, you can make it make sense. Like I remember listening to you guys, you and Joe doing the, the deep dive and talking about the UWF tag team titles. And you saying that, you know, the first match for those titles, there were no belts there. And you've got JR on commentary saying, oh, it's because they haven't been made yet. That's right. why there's no belts. They're going to get them soon. And it's like, fine, simple. That's all you've got to do, right? He puts him through the table. And then Bully opens up the next episode of Impact. He's sucked all of Macklin's heat away. He's sucking heat from Saban and Shelley. And he's like, I'm in the number one contenders match. No one can stop me. And then that, that was it. There was it's no like, explanation. Why should no nobody nothing. stop you? <laughs> like, wait, why? Yeah, and it's like, and now there's this 52-year-old dude. It's like, okay, fine. And then he's just the focus of the match of the eight-man. And then he's, and he's the talking in the floor. He's talking all day. You've never oh. done nothing, boy. This I've done everything. You've never done nothing, oh. boy. Like I can't do a bully Ray uh, uh, impression there. But yeah, every time he got some, got in the ring, he would just yell at a guy and say, "I've been there. I've been to the mountaintop. You haven't done shit." It's oh. just like, okay, cool, yeah. It was just like one giant long wet fart. Yeah, and then. It built to this awkwardly long and incredibly crap spot with Scott Demore in the four-way where Bully's going to use the chair and Demore comes down to a mild pop. And then Demore like stands there, looks at him, and he says, no, you're not getting a mic, Bully. And they sort of like mumble at each other for ages, almost like they were trying to wait to stand in the right place. Mm-hmm. Scott hits him with like the most middling shot to the back, and Bully's like, "Oh, I'm dead," and rolls to the outside. Not to, not to interrupt. Did you think that Demore was going to side with Bully at that moment? Because it took so long for him to hit the chair. Oh. I'm thinking, okay, someone's going to stand up. Like Gresham's going to stand up, and he's going to swivel the hips and hit Jonathan Gresham, and Bully's going to be like, "Ah, we were in on it all along. You all fell for it." Like, ha 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 ha. Like I was convinced that was what it was going to do because it took. Demore so long he gets in the ring and he's like you're not gonna do this to me you're not gonna do this to my company and then he's getting ready to hit bully with the chair and then time stands still and it's like i'm looking around i'm like all right someone's not in their spot they're waiting for you know somebody to walk into the frame so we can turn around and swivel the hips and hit them with the hit him with the chair and then after like two minutes of just staring at one another Demore hits him with a light chair shot and then like you said bully rolls to the outside and then the match ends and it's like oh okay (laughs) I just well, I I didn't think he was going to side with him. I mean, that would have been the lazy cliche WWE thing to do. I didn't think he was going to do that. But the thing is, all of this is building in theory to Scott against Bully at Slammiversary in Scott's hometown of Windsor, Ontario, right? Which is fine. There are probably people who will want to see that, you know. But it it's the same tired bully bullshit we have seen for years, where he goes in works with the promoter to pop them, they get on the screen all the time, and then suddenly he's in this big hot program, or like, you know, mildly hot, or, you know, whatever word you want to use, the one that's getting all the eyeballs, and it's taking it away from the people who are good workers, who are telling good stories. And it's like, I don't need to see Scott Damore. Like, he hit a Canadian destroyer on Jason Hotch at Rebellion, and that, you know, that was, um, it wasn't Rebellion, sorry, it was Sacrifice. And then, you know, Bully got his comeuppance against Tommy Dreamer, right? And it was like, right, we're done. We're done. Move on. There's no use for him now. You've had a six-month run where you've done all you could with him. You're fine. Like, as a six-month package, 
I could look past it. I didn't enjoy the dreamer stuff, but I got what they were trying to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, this, and you, needed, more you needed thing, star power. You needed people to, that people identified with. You needed some people to put some eyeballs on impact. I don't know if Bully's that guy, but I get it. I get trying it. I get saying, ah, you know what? Let's try Bully and Tommy Dreamer or whatever. I get it. I understand it. And it was out of the, it was out of the title picture, too. They were just kind of doing their thing in the mid-card, yeah. and that's fine. It was terrible. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> it was probably, terrible. But well, yeah, like, I get it. The whole thing sucked. And that first blood match they had was the <laughs> worst thing I've seen this year. Like, I remember when I sent you my review and you read it and you were like, it can't have been this bad. And then it definitely was. And then but I watched it. It was that. Why do you think, think I haven't talked about impact in four months or six months or whatever? <laughs> but, right, so, but then the promo Tommy Dreamer cut a rebellion ahead of that match was genuinely one of the best promos Tommy's cut in a long, long time. And the thing is, it's all because his mum was like, you assume this is Tommy. He might be, you know, working. But it was basically like my mum's almost died and I nearly didn't come. But I've come because I want to prove a point. And it was like, this is an incredible promo. And if the program was more like this, I might have cared. Uh, in the end, you've got Dave LaGreca stood in the ring and you're throwing coffee over each other. Um, yeah. But the thing was, that bully thing was done in April. You were done. There was no need for him anymore. You got all you could with him. And now they're bringing him back for this match with Demore, presumably at some anniversary. And it's like, yeah, but are we going to be done then? Is Scott going to win? Is Bully then going to go? Or is he going to find another way to be involved and suck the life out of something else? I'm not saying he doesn't have a use, but he's moved past that point of use now. And he's now got the go-away heat where it's like... It's I don't just, yeah, now, it's bully. He's it's, on the booking team full time. He's yeah. probably going to be around full time anyway. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's it's in a vacuum. It w- if if I just told you that hey, they're going to put Bully Ray on Impact and he's going to feud with Scott Demore, you might go okay. If you've never if you haven't watched Impact in a couple of years and you're not really aware of of Bully Ray's mm-hmm. online persona or whatever, and I just said ah, Bully Ray's going to come in, and he's going to feud with Scott Demore, you might go oh, all right, yeah, whatever. But you can't ignore all the other stuff. You can't put it in a vacuum because the guy, like you said, was around for six months, having a pretty terrible feud that had a terrible blow off and and felt like it was just advertising for their radio show more so than trying to get people to watch Impact and and it's Bully Ray and he's got the annoying online persona and he's got just you know all the stuff uh, involved with it and yeah you can't just look at it in a vacuum and you have to look at it in totality and yeah Bully Ray in like 2023 is just not something that I need to see on my wrestling like it's just I talked about the you know Impact taking the chance on Macklin and saying fuck it let's make a new guy let's try something different let's try somebody new Going back to the bully Raywell is the absolute worst thing you could do if you're Impact in my mind because it's just it make if somebody turns on that TV and they haven't watched Impact in 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 a couple of years and they see bully fucking Ray on their television doing the same shit he did in, in 2011 or whatever that's going to be like I, I don't need this I don't why am I watching this I don't need this I, there's so much wrestling I could be watching on television I'm not going to waste it to watch bully Ray matches in 2023. Yeah, exactly. This is why my columns are all moaning about the same thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just want it to end. Just, yeah, I ju- yeah. Well, luckily he did not win the number one contendership here. Nick Aldis did actually win it, so uh, that is good. But uh, we'll now go to a tag team match here. It's Deanna Perazzo and Trinity uh, versus G- Giselle Shaw on Savannah Evans and Trinity and, and Deanna Perazzo. They're going to be facing off against one another at Slammiversary. So this was a little bit of can they coexist ahead of Slammiversary, and they pretty much did, right? Like there was really not any whole lot of tension here and this um another match that featured mostly good workers but 
wasn't very good at all. Like uh, it, it just another really bad finish as well that you're not quite sure if that was supposed to be the finish or if somebody kind of fucked it up. It's just it had a lot of the tropes. Can they coexist? You know, people, you know, facing off, you know, teaming with one another before they face off for the title. And then just, yeah, it just didn't, it, it bad. It just wasn't a very good match from, from what I think is at least three out of the four people involved are, are pretty damn talented. And, and it just, yeah, it just did not work. No. It, yeah, the work was fine. Like, in my view, it was fine. It was just boring and the crowd didn't care. Um, I, this, see, you know, you thought the Demore and Bully thing was going to, you know, go the other way in the 8-4-1. I thought they were going to do the can they coexist melodrama here. Trinity and Peraza are going to fall out. And then Giselle Shaw, who they kind of tried to give the push to on impact that she was the reason Jordan Grace wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, she was given that kind of write-off push. I was like, Shaw's going to pin Trinity or Peraza. It didn't really matter. They're interchangeable. Probably Peraza. And then they're going to make the Slammiversary women's title match a three-way because oh. this is impact. You have to have a multi-person <laughs> oh, title right. match somewhere. You're right, yeah. And I was like, they can do that. Shaw can then eat the pin at Slammiversary. And then they save, you know, they, they let they let it marinate. They let Trinity and Perazzo be the main event for a show some other time. They save that for Chicago or, you know, what, you know wherever they're going to do stuff. Or maybe they try and do it at the multiverse show or something like that. Um, and they didn't. So I was quite pleased from that point of view. Um, but yeah, this was like a TV match that went three minutes too long. Yeah. Instead, they just did nothing. They just had a match and then it was over and it was like, well, all right, (laughs) then I guess they're going to face each other. It's like, the finish was just like an absolute shit show because Jay Vidal, who's like Giselle Shaw's personal stylist, he's not her manager. He's her stylist. And obviously Savannah Evans is a director of personal security. So um, you need to, you know, the key details, Rich, that you need yeah, to, yeah, of to course, be aware of. of. Uh, Vidal, she, so he takes that Trinity on the outside and it's like, well, obviously heel segment, boo. Uh, and then Peraza's obviously got to, you know, fight against the odds or, or whatever until Trinity makes the hot tag. I presume that's what they were trying to do. Uh, and then they just panned into the ring and Perazzo rolled up with Savannah Evans with a, a magistral. <laughs> Giselle Shaw's just stood she's there. She's there. She's right there. Her partner's and I'm like, oh, and she she's looking. She's just staring. It's like, oh, she stood there. She stood there, which is tipping off that Evans is going to kick out. You know, the yeah, tag yeah. team partners never get involved unless you might lose. She didn't kick out and Shaw just stood there and the camera's like facing her. And it's like, you <laughs> yeah. look like an absolute jabron now. And uh, they obviously, they, you know, they tried to salvage things with a, a beat down and Trinity ran them off or whatever. But, yeah, it just sucked. And the crowd didn't know how to react. And it was like not a great way to make Trinity and Diana Peraza, which is literally the biggest women's match you can make yeah. full stop. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a big time match for Slammiversary. You know, they've got sort of six weeks or a month or so to, to build that match. It's like that should feel like a big deal and will be a big deal. And they've got to ride this Trinity train and see what they can do with it. Like she has to win there. 
Oh, you got it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 Deanna Pruz is awesome, but you got to do whatever you can. This Trinity thing, whatever it is, whatever amount of eyeballs you can get, whatever amount of attention you can get, you got to get it with, with Trinity. So, yeah, she's got to win this match, and you have to try something and, and, and hype this up as much as you can and get as many new people watching Impact as possible. That's why she's brought in here. And, and it does feel like that buzz has been greatly reduced, but I think her having a big-time match with Perazu uh, at at, 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 at Slammiversary and Trinity winning that match, you got to do that. You have to, have to, have to do that if you're Impact. Yeah, and then in theory, Mickey James is going to come back. And for that casual fan, I hate that term, but you know, if they can do Trinity against Mickey James on a big show, like that is going to attract attention because it's like, oh, it's you know Trinity who's got all those weird stands, and then Mickey James who. We have to give her her flowers because she's a legend and all that stuff. So it's like that would attract eyeballs or would attract more sort of casual passing interest. Um, so they have to go with it. But, yeah, this this didn't make it feel hot. It didn't make her feel like this, you know, impressive newcomer that's not lost yet and she's dominant and whatever and didn't make Peraza look great either because Savannah Evans never wins. She never beats anyone. So, like, you didn't need to roll her up. You could have just tapped her out. But. You know, they could have just tapped her out and Giselle Shaw probably would have still stood there anyway. So that would have been fine. Yeah, real clunky finish, which just led to a, a whole night of uh, very, very clunky finishes. Uh, and then the main event, or not, sorry, the uh, semi-main event, I should say here, the six-man tag, Ohio Street Fight, OVE, uh, Jay Chris, Madman Fulton, Sammy Callahan versus The Design, Angels, uh, Diener, and Khan. And this is, like you said, the moment where this crowd, I was like, yeah, this crowd sucks. They don't really care about anything. And then OVE came out and they were like, yeah. <laughs> like, how many of Sammy Callahan's family members were in the crowd here? Because they, this was like as loud as the, the crowd was never louder the, the rest of the night. Even it, maybe when Shelly, not, not during the, the match, but when Shelly actually won the title, was maybe the second loudest the crowd was the entire night. But this crowd was up to like, they went from like a two the entire night. To you know, they would go to zero at some point, mostly during the women's matches, and then on this they were like nine out of ten to ten, and they loved OPE and were going nuts for this match, which was to me just yet another like I- I've seen so many. OVE, Jake Chris, Sammy Callahan, plunder matches. I never need to see them again, but this was the right amount of chaos, and I'm never going to really enjoy a plunder match anymore. Like, I just can't in 2023. There's a, there's only a few that can really, like, an anarchy in the arena can kind of land with me, but most other ones can't. I got to tip my cap to this one, though. They did a just the right amount of chaos, had just the right, the right, around of, the, 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 just the right amount of stuff. Callahan, he excels in these types of matches. And it was just fun because the crowd finally woke up. There was chaos. People were going through tables. People were getting hit with shit. It kind of worked. It, I really didn't think it was going to work. And I, I think in, in when I was talking with you about doing the show, I was like, I've seen enough OVE street fights to last a lifetime. I'm probably just going to skip that match. And I'm glad I didn't, and I'm glad I watched it because it ended up being a lot of fun. But, yeah, I was stunned that this is when the crowd, and maybe it makes sense it's in Ohio or whatever, but they didn't care about anything else on the show. But, man, were they ready for the Ohio Street fights. And it, it, it made this match feel like it had a lot more energy, and it made it feel a little bit better. And the work itself was, was a lot of fun. It, it was the right amount of chaos. So I actually kind of like this match, believe it or not. Yeah, I, I thought it was really entertaining. Um, I, there was an obvious joke I could have made about Ohio and – inbreeding and stuff about sammy callahan but i won't when you asked about his family members but i'm not going to do that because i'm i'm better than that i think uh i'm definitely not but i just don't want to get cancelled on my flagship debut um (laughs) but essentially this was this was a lot of fun and 
it was weird. So they did a, an OVE sort of trios match on the last special under siege. And it was Sammy Callahan, Rich Swan, and, you know, the, the, the always dangerous TBA. Right. And it was supposed to be a big surprise. And now this big surprise was Jake Christ, which obviously is not the sexiest surprise in the world. Um, but the problem was they didn't even give him the like single entrance at the end where they're like, and the third member of Sammy Callahan's team is, and then he gets the entrance. Yeah, he literally walked out he with Sammy. Out with them. He just came out with them, and it was like, oh, all right, that's him. And it was, it was just like, oh, great, like that. You just, you know, I'm not saying you were going to get a huge pop for Jake Christ in London, Ontario, but like you didn't even try. Um, he he came out like he looked like his mind, and it was just like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, this was a ton of fun, and I I liked the way it was built because this sammy callahan dina thing has been going on for eight months now uh and in that time eric young got murdered uh, sammy callahan went through seven deadly steps to join the design which culminated in a four on three handicap match against joe hendry dirty dango and santina morella uh, in which callahan that rogue turned on the design and then they've been feuding continually ever since then so it's been going on for far too long. It was almost impossible to care about. And I assumed that they were going to keep eking it out until Slammiversary where you'd get some kind of plunder singles match, Callahan against Dina. Like that was going to be the end goal. Um, but the way this was booked and the, the street fight stipulation and the fact it was in Ohio and, you know, Callahan getting a very decisive win over Dina, it kind of felt like it was over. It felt a very decisive, like this is the end of the feud. Um, you know, you, you had Madman Fulton, oh I, oh, I thought looked really good here. Um, I'm not sure the shorts is a great look, but he, him and Con just basically wailed at each other for ages, which was funny. Yeah, and threw each and other through big things and threw smaller guys into yeah. big things. Yeah, it, it worked. It did. And then took took like the gentlest tumble off the stage to the table. <laughs> Their little, yeah, they, <laughs> they hugged and then fell down on the table and you're like, oh, okay. Um, so that was, that kind of made it two on two. Uh, Jake Chris then got a burning hammer through a barbed wire board, uh, which I was <laughs> yep. like, not quite sure you need that to put Jake Chris away, but you know, each to their own. Angels then gets clocked with a baseball bat, and then you're down to one on one, and then yeah, Callahan hits him with two pile drivers, baseball bat to the head, and it's game over. And it it just felt like that's the end of the feud. There's no way you can eke out another match. I mean, this is impact. They probably will, but <laughs> like, I got some bad news. For it you. feels like it's done, and I think you know there's a wider point about Callahan because his match with Kenny Omega at Slammiversary 2021, I think, is probably along with the Penta Slammiversary run from Slammiversary 2018, um, which I think you guys did an instant react. We did an instant reaction. Before. Yeah, it, it, it long time ago, and it wasn't it wasn't me and Joe. It was me. Jack and I, oh man, I forget who the third person was. And it was essentially that all of us, may have been Alex Wenland or whatever, we were all like available on that night. And it was kind of a joke, like, hey, let's watch the show and bury it. And then the show fucking rocked. And it was like the best Impact pay per view I've ever seen. And that match was so good. That Sammy Kale and Penta, one of my favorite Impact matches of all time. So yeah, when we got on the call, I was like, well, shit, I guess we got to talk about how awesome the show was. Like, it was just, we were all planning on burying it and laughing about it, and then it ended up being fucking tremendous. So just, yeah, lo- love that match. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Callahan, the guy who did that match, the guy who, who did the stuff with Tessa Blanchard, also cancelled. Um, Sammy's not, somehow, which I've always found a bit odd. Um, but, like, those matches, he's not that person anymore. Like, the broken ankle he had 
back end of 2021, like that has really impaired his like his mobility. I'm not saying he can't move. He's not like the Tanahashi waddle yet, but like he's carrying a bit of extra timber and he's not really moving in the same way. And he doesn't feel like he's the same kind of worker anymore. Hello. Hello. Still there? Okay, that might have been my dog making a random noise here. He's snoring on my lap, and <laughs> you may have heard him, so I apologize. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so it's like Callahan kind of isn't really a singles guy anymore, or I don't think he really works as a big-time singles guy. You can do the, the deathmatchy stuff, but I just, to me, he feels tailor-made for a tag run, which is what they were gearing him up for before the injury. Like, it was going to be him and Eddie Edwards kind of had this weird we've hated each other for years like i nearly shoot blinded you uh but we're kind of awkward buddies now and we're, we're a good team right and then obviously he broke the ankle i feel like we're now at the point where it's like no sammy callahan probably should be a bag wrestler and it, you can be him and jake chris jake chris can take all of his bumps and then sammy can come in for like the hot tag and then the thumbs up thumbs down the pile driver stuff and then they're a fresh team in the, the tag title mix because right, and he can really cut the promos too, a... which is exactly. Is, uh, Whereas when, good... he... yeah, when he came back last year, it felt like they were going to do Josh Alexander against Sammy Callahan at some point for the title. It felt like Callahan was going to come back as this avenging hero from the injury, and you know you'd have this really fun dynamic of Josh Alexander, the wrestler, the the Canadian Iron Man, the standard of impact against like this kind of little tubby bloke from Ohio, <laughs> who is a brawler and you know, he'll beat you up with a stapler and lemon juice and all that kind of stuff rather than the other stuff. You know, he's he's not going to beat you with an ankle lock, but, like, he'll pile drive you through a barbed wire ball. So I thought that's what they were going to do, and then I don't know whether they, they looked at him and just went, that's not the right play or that was never going to be the play and whatever. But, yeah, he, to me, it's just, like, these matches prove, like, the tag setting is where he, he probably belongs. And I think Jake Christ has evolved a lot as a worker as well. So they want to bring him back I, th- I think that's sort of a fun direction to go in i would say for sammy moving forward for sure for sure so there we go that is uh, against all odds uh that was uh the the show again like i said more detailed review up at voices of if you want to read that from andrew uh right now we have books so far for slammiversary we have diana perrazzo versus trinity as we mentioned for the knockouts world title and the impact world title match alex shelley versus Nick Aldis, and that's going to be in Windsor, Ontario, July 15th, like you said. So actually just 30 days from now, a month uh, from now. So we've got a couple more weeks until uh, uh, Slammiversary happens and a few other things coming up for Impact. Uh, they did mention on the show that they're doing the Multiverse uh, uh, show again with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Hiroshi Tanahashi was uh, announced as a participant in that as well. That, I believe, is all we know for the Multiverse so far. But, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, a good one-two punch for Slammiversary. And and the way we said that Perazzo versus Trinity is like the big match that that company can do to try to get eyeballs. And, and I mean, Shelly and Aldis is a cool match too. That's a match that I'm, I'm but that's one that I don't know that like somebody who's not watching impact is really going to be that compelled to watch. But uh, the Perazzo and Trinity is definitely one to, you know, 
they, they need to put all the muscle they can behind that and advertising that and getting that out to the world to let people know that Trinity is here, uh, Parazu's great, and they're going to go out there and have hopefully a really, really good match and, and hopefully end with Trinity winning and, and that being uh, the culmination of a big-time moment. And, and, and a good play by Impact, a great play to bring Trinity in. But, yeah, you got you got to finish that story there uh, to try to get those extra eyeballs. But, uh, yeah, Impact, um, you know, we haven't talked about it in a long time in the flagship. I'm glad we did this. And uh, there's there's some decent stuff going on there. It's It's still Impact. There's still obviously a ceiling there. Uh, I, I can't honestly tell you to drop, you know, whatever you're watching and watch Impact right away. But you know, it's it's solid as hell wrestling with a pretty good roster, and Bully Ray is also there too. So maybe go on DVR and then you can skip the Bully Ray segments, and then things will be a little bit better. It's probably the best way I can I can I can sell it. But uh, uh, any other thoughts on uh, Impact big picture stuff before we uh, we let you go to bed finally, Andrew? Uh, no, not really. I was going to say you said it was a more detailed review at the website, but we've just done a. a real I guess we did an hour and a half. So maybe it's not more detailed. Yeah, true. That'd be a big review. Um, That's a detailed review there at the website. Hey, but. You know what? You send him that. You you send a man enough suggestive Slack messages about talking about impact on the flagship, and eventually you get what you want. You have to give the people what they want. Exactly. Um, got to do it. Exactly. Um, I think Summer Rush will be an interesting show. I, I think, you know, there's probably going to be a multi-person match somewhere. I would imagine that's probably going to be the the X Division because there's no obvious contender for, for Sabin. So it feels like an easy thing to, to do, you know, Ultimate X or a ladder match or something like that. Um, and, I mean, they're going to Australia because they're filling in for, for New Japan in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. <laughs> right, which I, obviously... I never knew was an actual real town, and it's, uh, it's, it's real. Yeah, I thought I always thought that was like some lingo. or No, it's called Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. That can't, that can't be a real place. Um, but, <laughs> Wagga Wagga. Yeah, it's like they're doing two shows there, um, which is fine. You know, they're filling in for, for New Japan. They're doing them a solid. Um Steve Macklin's going to be there. The guns are going down there. Ace and Bay are going down there. And those shows are on fight. So I presume they're actually going to be like fairly well fleshed out proper shows. Um, I don't know what they're going to look like, but my hope is that we get to see Slex, the business, in an impact. Oh, God, I hope. Yeah, Um, we should. We need to. We need to. If they want to do business, that's what they're going to call for sure. Well, that's the thing. They're doing like a tryout thing, I think, while they're there for for talents to impress Scott Demore. Well, obviously... We know the way to impress him is put him through a burning table. <laughs> right, then you're going to get a shot. So, yeah, everybody's going to be lining up. Yeah. But, look, if they're trying to sign guys and there are guys down there, I, I honestly would beg that they just sign the Velocities because it's just like nobody else seems to want them. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, yeah, they were here WrestleMania weekend and, like, make, one, one company booked them and then everybody let them go and just hang around all weekend. Make a play so. and put, put them in the ring with... Ace Austin and Chris Bay. That's all I want to see. Oof, yeah. Uh, that, that and Slex. Rock. That and Slex. And I'd be very happy. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, that, that weekend in Australia, obviously, there's a live podcast at the end by Conrad Thompson as well, which obviously I'm sure the people of Wagga Wagga are going to pop for. But, um, yeah, they've got that. They're, they're going back to Canada for Slammiversary. And then, yeah, you've got the, the Junior Festival, which I assume they're going to be involved with. And then... Uh, the, the multiverse show as well so they've got right. some and cool the stuff two chicago going on shows and... too in the end of july hopefully I'll, I'll be able to attend one of those uh emergence coming up in august uh, like you said the episode 1000 taking place in the iconic home when you think of impact wrestling and you think of tna wrestling you think of white plains new york the westchester, westchester <laughs> county center uh in white plains new york the first thing you think of when you think of impact yeah that's where they're doing episode uh uh, uh 1000 uh victory road and then <laughs> 
two weeks after Impact Wrestling 1000, they're in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> it's like, what do you know? <laughs> oh, dude, uh, from Mid South Mayhem. That eh, would have been better if Episode One Thousand was in uh, Tennessee. But that's okay. uh, yeah. But the problem is, what worries me is like White Plains, New York. Is does that mean Bully's going to be like a large part of One Thousand oh, because no. he's the New Yorker? <laughs> yes, probably. I've just, <laughs> probably, I've just yes. spoken it into existence. Uh, I feel like me speaking that into existence is just like the end of any big picture thoughts anyone could have on Impact. So, that's uh, yeah. Thank you that, a that's lot. Probably. Yeah. That's a wrap for me. That probably is a good time to, to send you away. You're getting delirious now. You're getting too tired. You're getting delirious. You've lost all control. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Andrew, thank you again for coming on here and helping us review Against All Odds, talk about the current state uh, of Impact Wrestling. Before we go, if you want to just get your plugs out of the way again, where people can follow you, where they can read your work, and any of that other good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I'm usually in the weird places like Impact, NWA, MLW. Uh or you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97 if that's your thing. As I say, you can read my work at Voices of Wrestling. And if you've got the time, check out the the rosy piece I did. Because that, that, to me, is the power of wrestling and why wrestling can be a really positive and helpful thing. Uh, and why it's been a big part of my life for more than 20 years. So, uh, yeah. That that's my plugs, I think, and yeah, thank you very much for having me, Rich. No, nah, man, cool thank you so much for coming on here. This is great. Uh, long overdue to talk impact here, so uh, nobody better uh, than Andrew Sinclair again. Voices of Wrestling. I read his work there, uh, and I will try in the show notes. I, I I always say that I'm gonna do that, and then I like I wake up the next morning and I completely forgot what happened on the show. But I I, I wrote down. I'm gonna make a note to do that. Uh, put the rosy uh, one in there. But uh, uh, Andrew, thank you again for uh, coming on here. Thank you again for helping us uh, talk about Impact Wrestling, and you have yourself a very good night, sir. Thank you very much, Captain. All right. That is Andrew Sinclair. We thank him so much uh, for coming on this show and helping us talk uh, Impact Wrestling. So now what we're going to do is do a brief little uh, uh, news segment here. Going to touch on some stuff going on in the world of wrestling. Uh, Real quick hitters. And then we're going to work on getting Chris Sampson here to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax. So, uh, yeah, going to do, uh, like I said, quick little news hit here, uh, and then we will obviously get into uh, uh, talking with Chris Samsa, talk about the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling and the G1 Climax. But uh, before we do that, of course, do have to let you know that this episode of the Flagship Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by, one second, I'm getting the weirdest noise in the world. Okay, there we go. It is gone. Some smooth jazz is playing in the background i don't know why i think it was after i got off the call with andrew but anyway yes this episode of the flagship podcast is sponsored by our friends at bet stamp and the bet stamp app which is helping thousands of people win at sports betting for free the same way travelers use google flights or expedia to find the best prices bettors can now use bet stamp to do the very same when you place a bet the odds given by a sports book will determine how much you can possibly win even when betting on the same outcome, different sports books will offer varying payouts, and these differences can be huge. They can be massive, massive differences. Thankfully, BetStamp allows you to easily line shot for the most profitable odds across all sports books. You click on any matchup, and you'll instantly see all the different odds for the game lines, player props, and even futures bets. Line shopping is the simplest way to find an edge in sports betting and maximize your chances of winning long-term. On average, BetStamp users win an extra $1,000 yearly just by line shopping. And I've talked about this when we've done the reads before. You go on 
and you want to bet for whatever you want to bet on. You don't care what sports book. You want to bet the thing you want to bet. If you wanted to bet, you know, the Denver Nuggets to win the championship two months ago, you wanted to get was going to give you the most money. I was already going to bet for the Denver Nuggets to win the NBA championship. I don't really care whether this book or that book or this. I, I, who's going to give me the most money? This is the bet I want to make. How can I win the most? That is what BetStamp does for you. It shows you all the odds and says, hey, choose the best odds. Win the most money. This is the bet you want to make. Here's how to do it. Just like Google Flights. Hey, I want to go to this place. Well, here's the cheapest ticket. Here's the best ticket. Who cares if it's from this airline or that airline or whatever? Get the best price. You're already going to go there. You know, why, why, why bother? So that is what BetStamp is going to do there. They're going to let you line shop with all the different sports books and get the exact one that's going to make you the most money. And you can find the BetStamp, app, uh, the BetStamp app on the Apple iOS store, Google Play, or through your browser at betstamp.app slash VOW. That's B-E-T-S-T-A-M-P dot A-P-P slash V-O-W. Again, it's betstamp.app slash V-O-W. And then to access all the benefits that we talked about, sign up using that promo code V-O-W. That's promo code V-O-W to start your journey to successful sports betting today. If for whatever reason you forget to use that code V-O-W at sign up, do not worry. You can always enter that code in your Betstamp account settings afterwards. Again, that's betstamp.app slash V-O-W, promo code V-O-W, or find the BetStamp app on the Apple iOS store and Google Play. And we also, of course, thank them for sponsoring this week's show. So, all right, let's get to some news and uh, quick hitters here before we bring Chris Samsa on and finish out the show talking about the G1 Climax. AEW Collision, we're just a few days away from the debut of AEW Collision airing live this Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central on TNT. Uh, the card as it stands right now. Uh, Miro returning versus TBA, the always dangerous, always dangerous TBA. Miro is back. Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale versus the Outcast, Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. Uh, that was built, obviously, up on Dynamite. Andrade is back. He is going to be facing Buddy Matthews. AEW TNT title, another match uh, made on Dynamite. Wardlow, the champion, defending against Luchasaurus. And then the big one, the main event, FTR, Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood, and CM Punk versus the Bullet Club Gold team of Jay White and Juice Robinson and Samoa Joe. So yeah, Punk is back. He's in the main event. He's wrestling again. Big question is, of course, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? They're going to give this guy a live mic. What's going to happen? How's the crowd going to react? There's so many things that go into it, and that's even before he steps in the ring and the bell rings. And we got to talk about that, too, because the last time this guy has been in the ring, the last two times the guy's been in the ring, basically, he's had major injuries. So can his body still hold up? Can he hold up to the rigors of professional wrestling? I think that's a, as big a question as all the other stuff as well, because you can go through all this mega remote and all this that you can do all this stuff and all these things and all these, you know, OK, we're going to make this show for uh, Punk's going to be on this show and we're going to sequester him over to Saturdays. We're going to do this and do all that. If he goes in here and does one move and blows his knee out, it's all for naught. You know, what I mean, like it's over that. <laughs> it's all this stuff, all this whatever. It, it means nothing. And that, you know, is a very real possibility, given what's happened, given the injury history that CM Punk has had and, and the injuries that he's had over the last, you know, two major matches that he's had in this company, that has been what's plagued him is, is injuries. So can his body hold up? Will he be okay? Can he go from zero to 10 right out of the gates after not wrestling for a year? I don't know. We're going to find out here. I, I, I hope so, because I think things are more exciting uh, if CM Punk is there. Uh, certainly helps our business here at FlagshipPatreon.com for sure and at Voices of Wrestling. But um, I don't know. That, that's, to me, there's all the questions, all the stuff that goes into this. But can his body hold up, I think, is a question that we all 
need to be asking in addition to all this other stuff of what's he going to say about Hangman Page? What's he going to say about the Bucks? Will he talk about Brawl Out? Will he talk about Kenny Omega? Will he talk about Colt Cabana? Is he going to be able to handle all this sort of stuff? What's going to happen if the crowd boos? What's going to happen if he goes to a show and the attendance is bad? Like he's going to go to that Hamilton show and there's nobody there. Is is he going to get up? Like there's all these other things, all these other things that are going to go into this, but also can the guy hold up? Can he hold us to the rigors of a regular pro wrestling, you know, schedule. And I would assume that you're going to use him very sparingly. But the fact that right out of the gates he's wrestling, right out of the gates we're going to go for it, I, I'm assuming he's been in the ring. I'm assuming he's been training in the ring and, and doing stuff like that. I hope. I mean, it would not make sense. I would certainly hope he is. But it's it's a question that needs to be asked given what we've seen from CM Punk in, in, in his last few major matches. But um, as of four days ago, uh, and I was just checking, I did not see any update from WrestleTix yet, but as of uh, four days ago, uh, the count for the United Center show, uh, current setup for that show is 10,214, uh, still 1,831 tickets available, uh, tickets distributed, again, this is from WrestleTix, 8,383, so we're not quite there at 10,000 yet. I uh, don't know if you're going to get some walk-up that might kind of influence a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if that has if, – if, and also if this number has been updated, uh, I'm taking this as of four days ago. That's the last update that they had. So uh, I don't know if a bunch of tickets sold after Dynamite, and they finally said, hey, Punk's going to be there, and here's this promo package, and here this is all these sort of things. It feels like they'll probably get to 10,000, but I don't know. It didn't uh, – wasn't an immediate turnaround there, so I don't know. They, they, they're still – there's still a ways there, uh, and I don't know if there's a thousand, you know, eighteen hundred people waiting to buy tickets to the show. So they might not get to that ten thousand. They might be somewhere around the nine thousand or whatever. But we'll see uh, when the show actually happens here uh, in a few days. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious what what and you, can, you guys can let us know in in the comments on Patreon or or uh, a follow up on Discord or whatever. But how do you feel about Collision? Like, how, does it? You know, we talked about it last night on the Instant Reaction Live. <clears throat> I did with Suit Williams about, um, you know that punk video on dynamite finally made it feel real that he's going to be there. Okay. He's going to be there. He's talking about being there. It's actually him. Okay. Uh, he's going to be here. I, I think presumably unless something happens in between and we'll talk about that in a sec here, but you know, it, it, it finally feels like, okay, now it feels really real that this guy's here. This thing is coming. This brand new show is happening. He's going to be there. Uh, it does, you know, now, now it feels like it's actually going to happen when it felt like multiple times along the way that it, it wasn't going to happen. So I guess I, that it, from that standpoint, it, it feels kind of exciting. It's like, okay, okay, we're, we're, we're finally here. We're finally there. Um, you know, it was the hype matching, which should be a pretty historic moment, I, 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 yeah, sort of, but I don't feel like there's that. I feel like everyone's kind of walking on eggshells about this. Like there's no... I, and I, this might just be my corner of the internet. It might be the kind of people that listen to the flagship and go to Voices of Wrestling or contribute to Voices of Wrestling. But it doesn't feel like out and out people are excited about this or like anticipating, oh man, here we go. CM Punk is back. Like it mostly just feels like everyone's just kind of like, eh, is this going to work? Is this going to, how's this going to, like, I don't, I don't know anybody. And, and there might be people out there. I'm sure there is. I don't know anybody that's just like, cool, CM Punk's back. Let's do this. And that's it. And that's their only thought about it. Everybody's kind of got the, eh, yeah, he's back. But like, I don't know. It's, is it going to, you know, what, what's going to happen? When is Mount Brooks going to explode? Like, when's it going to erupt? You know what I mean? There's always this. It, no, I, I don't know anybody. And I'm, I'm included in that, too. That like, it's just like, you're, you're like, yeah, okay, it's here it is now. And he's back. But. Does he say something week one and it's all over? Does he get pissed week four? Does he get pissed week five? Like, I don't know when we won't 
have that feeling anymore. I don't know when it will just be commonplace and he's just back and it's like, oh, okay, CM Punk's just back. Cool. Like it doesn't, it, it, I, I don't feel that way and I don't know that I'm going to feel that way for a while. It might take like two months until he's just regularly on the show and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess everything's fine. I guess it's fine enough, you know, fine enough. Even today, even days away from the show, it doesn't feel like things are fine enough. It still feels like we're walking on eggshells, that this bridge can can just break at any moment, that Mount Brooks can erupt at any second. Like, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel comfortable yet. It just kind of feels like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll all change when he comes out on collision and everyone's cheering and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many questions about, about, about CM Punk and, and um, yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I'm feeling excitement for the show because I think it's going to be interesting and it's going to provide a lot of content for us. But I can't say that I have like the, all right, here we go. Slap my hands together. CM Punk's back thing. Because it's more just like, all right, let's strap in and see how this roller coaster goes. You know what I mean? It's just like the you're at a roller coaster and the things come down. They're like, chink, 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 and you're locked in. You're like, all right, let's see. You know, let's 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 see where this thing goes. Let's see the ups and the downs and the, and the near misses. And ultimately, I don't know how it's going to end. I have no idea how this roller coaster is going to end. But strap in and. Uh, go along for the ride, but obviously that is coming up on Saturday. We have mentioned as well, you're going to get some sort of reaction for Collision. I cannot guarantee that it's going to be an instant reaction live because I'm going to be gone during the day. I'm going to be driving back. I will most likely, more likely than not, be home and able to watch all of Collision and able to go live immediately after the show with Joe, but just in case... We don't want to sell you guys on a $10 subscription and then not deliver that. That We felt that was bait and switchy. We don't want to do that. So you are going to get some sort of reaction audio. You will know about it on Saturday, what we're going to do. If you're a subscriber already, just stay, check your email, check Patreon, stick with us on social media, stick with us on the Discord. You will know what we're going to do on that night. But for those that are free listeners and aren't subscribed to Flagship Patreon and you're like, I want to know what you guys are doing for Collision, something. It will either be Instant Reaction Live, which is on our $10 tier, and that will go live immediately after Collision. If we don't do that, though, if for some reason I'm running late, can't watch the show on time, we will do Instant Reaction a couple hours after Collision. We don't call that one Instant Reaction Live. Joe and I just record that one and put it up on our $5 tier uh, over at FlagshipPatreon.com. So that, that's what you're going to get one of those two things. So if you want to subscribe anyway and get Instant Reaction Live for AEW Dynamite from last night, a great, great episode of myself and Suit Williams and all the other bonus content that we have uh, over at FlagshipPatreon.com, you can do that and you're going to get Collision something. You're going to get Instant Reaction Live or you're going to get the $5 Instant Reaction show at some point after Collision. If you're like on the fence about it, you're not quite sure, then maybe just wait it out and see what we do. We will tell you on Saturday. You will be able to know on Saturday what we're going to do or if you want to just Go five dollar and say, ah, you know what? I'll get something for five dollar. You could do that too, but we don't want to. We don't want to sell anybody on exactly what we're going to do with Collision because we don't know for sure what it's going to be. But again, I am very relatively certain that I will be home and everything will be okay to do the Collision thing. But I don't want to have you buy a ten dollar subscription for us and then us not deliver on that and you be like, ah, fuck these guys. They told me that I was going to get this and I didn't get this. That's bait and switch. We don't want to do that. We don't feel right doing that. So you're going to get something for Collision. It'll either be on the ten dollar tier or it'll be on the five dollar tier. That's probably the easiest way uh, to wrap that up. So we'll see you guys on Saturday in one way, shape, or form uh, about Collision. But yeah, we got to talk about that show uh, after it's done because it's gonna be it's gonna be a newsworthy show no matter what uh, ends up happening. Now the other thing that I sort of alluded to the uh, CM Punk thing is that uh, there's news out there that he's doing an interview 
uh, with something at ESPN. It's never really been nailed down of exactly who or what. Uh, but he did an interview last week with ESPN. We were able to get information about this interview a little bit. We didn't know a ton about like the exact subject or what was exactly said. Essentially, all that we were told was that Punk not necessarily went into business for himself, but played the heel role a little bit more than AEW may have wanted him to. AEW wants him to be a babyface. AEW wants him to be coming back from injury, conquering babyface. And he's going to enter in Chicago to a hero's welcome in their mind, and everything's going to be great, and everyone's going to love CM Punk. That's their plan. CM Punk doesn't necessarily see it that way. I think he either thinks a lot of people are going to boo me, so let's lean into that, or thinks... I could be a babyface in Chicago, but like after that, I gotta have to lean heel. I gotta do some heel stuff. I can't be the conquering, kissing babies babyface. That's just not gonna work. People are just not gonna accept that out of me right now, given everything that happened. So in this interview, we were told that he kind of went a little bit more to the heel side than he did the babyface side, and in terms of 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 maybe burying guys or talking about guys, doing it sort of in character heel style as opposed to you know, returning babyface CM Punk, and will that rub people the wrong way? Will certain people get upset by that? Again, we're walking on so many fucking eggshells with this guy, and everybody's tiptoeing around it. And it's not just—it's not all his fault. It's also the other side of this too. Everyone's just awkward, and everyone's tiptoeing, and nobody—you know—it's—it's it's so ugh, just ready for it to be over, and it does not feel like it's going to be over anytime soon. So I, that's all I know about this interview. Some people are like, oh, it's going to be disastrous. Everything's going to be up for grabs. And, oh, he's not even going to show up on Saturday now anymore. And then other people are just like, eh, it's being overblown. It's not that big of a deal. So I don't know. I don't know the content. I don't know exactly what was said. I guess we're all going to find out Friday. And we got to do this again until Saturday. And will he or won't he and, and whatever. So, yeah, there you go. Another uh, another Mount Brooks eruption potentially. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, some other quick hitters, too, before we get uh, Chris Samson on here to talk about the G1. Roosh has left AAA. Never a dull moment in the career of Roosh, as this week he claimed on social media that he and his father, uh, Bestia Del Ring, have left AAA. Uh, Roosh and L.A. Park were scheduled to face Sam Adonis and Psycho Clown, uh, one of the fake Triple Manias, Triple Mania Tijuana, uh, on July 15th. Whichever team lost that match was going to compete against one another in a mask versus hair match at the real Triple Mania August 12th. Now, many people assumed that that was, you know, or, or at least hoped that that was going to be Rush and L.A. Park, a match that has been long, long, long talked about. People have wanted Rush and L.A. Park for a long, long time. That's a match that is one of the biggest matches that can happen in Lucha Libre. And people thinking, hey, this is a great opportunity to have it. Now, I don't follow AAA enough to tell you definitively that that's the match that they were going to do and they weren't going to do Adonis and Psycho Clown. But, you know, it's it's Triple Mania. It's August 12th. It's the real Triple Mania. It's the big time one in Mexico City. It's not out of the question that they would have tossed around the idea of doing a Rouge versus L.A. Park. That, of course, is out of the window. Probably. Maybe. Who knows? Because as Lucha Blog, uh, Cubs fan, uh, LuchaBlog.com, he obviously writes uh, previews and reviews for us here uh, at VoicesOfWrestling.com, put it, quote, everyone involved is a, is very weird and mercurial. The Tijuana show is still over a month away. They may change their mind in a week. So <laughs> that's that's the best case scenario that Lucha Blog put there, was as people are freaking out and being like, oh, my God, you know, Rush is, you know, they're never going to get Rush in L.A. Park. And just like it's a month away and it's Rush, he might just come back. There's never a dull moment with this guy, and there's really very rarely dull moments in Lucha Libre. So um, who knows? Who knows? They might come back, and Roosh might be back in AAA in, 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 in a month, 
And he might have that match at Triple Mania. He might never be back. He might never face L.A. Park. They may never have a match. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, he has announced that him and uh, and, and his father will be uh, independent uh, in Mexico. But obviously, Roosh uh, has a contract with AEW as well. So that is the latest in the Roosh world. Who knows? <laughs> Stay tuned uh, for, for that. So uh, we also have this story out of WWE. We'll talk a little bit of WWE here. They have brand new women's titles. Yes, sort of, kind of, not really. WWE does a brand split. They did the brand extension, the draft to freshen things up, to have Raw and SmackDown finally be separate. Oh, we don't have, we don't want people on Raw and SmackDown. We need to have them separate. They need to be on different brands, all this sort of stuff. So they do this Raw draft and SmackDown draft, and it's a brand split, brand extension, yada, 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 whatever. Almost immediately, men and women are jumping back and forth, and the brand split means almost nothing ultimately worthless endeavor just to pop a couple of weeks of ratings and get a bunch of people to write about and do mock drafts and stuff like absolute fucking dorks doing mock drafts of Raw and SmackDown. Jesus Christ. Good Lord. But uh, anyway, I ended that worthlessness and we now have new women's titles for both brands, which are no longer brand labeled. So they say, hey, we need Raw and we need SmackDown to feel like completely different shows. So what we're going to do is take off the Raw and take off the SmackDown branding on all of our titles and just have these uh, uh, these random white titles that have confusing nicknames that no one's going to know what the difference of them to is. So that, that's perfect. Just perfect, perfect stuff. Um, it started on the June 9th SmackDown where Asuka was given a new belt, the WWE Women's Championship, which was formerly the Raw Championship, the Raw Women's Championship. So, yes. That's not a bad lib. This is what happened. On the June 9th episode of SmackDown, the blue brand, the one that's blue, Asuka was given a new belt, the white WWE Women's Championship, which was formerly the red championship, the Raw Women's Championship. Okay? So there you go. So on SmackDown, Asuka is given the women's WWE Women's Championship. That is now a SmackDown title, even though it was formerly the Raw title. Then this week on Raw, <laughs> the red brand, Rhea Ripley was given a new belt, the WWE Women's World Championship. That's not the Women's Championship. It's the Women's World Championship, which is formerly the SmackDown title, which is the blue brand. Now she is on Raw exclusively with another white title that used to be the blue title on the red brand. It's simple, really. It really is. Let's take stock of the current champions in the WWE because (laughs) looking at this, it's absolutely absurd just, just what, 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 oh God. I just, <laughs> it's not, why is this so hard? It's not that hard. It's not that hard. What are you doing to these titles? What are you doing to your history? Why are you doing this? I shouldn't care. It's WWE. I don't, I shouldn't care, but I, for some reason, I'm just like, come on. Why are you decimating your history this way? Like we, did, we did the Iron Sheik episode last week, and I'm watching old Iron Sheik matches, and they announce him as the former world's heavyweight champion, and it's like, oh, this man was once the world champion. In WWF, they said the former WWF champion, they used it all the time for him, and it was a big deal because there wasn't that many of them, and it was the one big title, the main title in the company. And then Iron Sheik would get booked in places all, oh, oh, for another 20 years. And they'd say former WWF champion, the Iron Sheik. And it was like, whoa. Because it still, there wasn't that many of them. And it was one title. And it was the top title. And it meant something. They have decimated the, this history and this lineage. What the fuck have they done? So, 
you have the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. That, of course, is the unification of the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship, which is forming the undisputed WWE Heavyweight uh, Sorry. The undisputed WWE Universal Championship, which is held by Roman Reigns. This title is SmackDown exclusive for now. And Roman also got a new belt since he was carrying around both sets of titles before. And now they just gave him one title. And he's the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. Then you have now the World Heavyweight Champion, Seth freaking Rollins, who beat AJ Styles at the Blood Money Show to win that title in its inaugural, you know, instance here of the World Heavyweight Championship. So it's a brand new title. It's a brand new title with no lineage, no background, nothing. The World Heavyweight Championship, it's brand new. Seth freaking Rollins has it. There we go. Women's World Championship, we talked about that. That's Rhea Ripley. Intercontinental Championship. Gunther is your internet, fuck, intercontinental champion. He won this, (laughs) of course he did, as a member of SmackDown, the blue brand, but now he's on Raw, the red brand, so now it's a red branded title, I guess. There you go. It's simple, really. WWE Women's Championship, that is Asuka. So there's the Women's World Championship, and that's Rhea Ripley, and then there's the Women's Championship, and that's Asuka, similar to how uh, well, not actually similar because <laughs> Roman Reigns is the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, so it doesn't follow the same pattern. I don't know. Don't ask me. Not sure. United States Champion, Austin Theory. You're never going to believe this. He won it as a member of Raw, the red brand, but now he's on SmackDown, which is the blue brand. <laughs> God damn it. Then we have the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship. Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. If you're wondering, wait. NXT Women's Tag Team Champion, why why do we care about that? Aren't you talking about main roster titles? I am. Because the NXT Women's Tag Team title is now a SmackDown title, the blue brand, when Fire and Dawn got drafted to the SmackDown brand. Now, it hasn't been defended since May, and the idea here is that they are eventually going to unify them in a match against the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. That match is apparently going to happen June 23rd. Mark your calendars. Can't wait. Get into it. So there you go. So Ronda Rousey, we'll skip ahead then. WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. And then your undisputed WWE Tag Team Champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. They defeated the Usos at WrestleMania. They technically hold both the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team titles, but they are recognized as the undisputed WWE Tag Team champions there has to be an easier way there has to be an easier way there just has to what are you doing to your history what are you doing to your lineages how does anybody make sense of this why i don't get it and then what they're going to do in a little bit they're going to take half these titles away and people are going to care again oh it's so good that they're just one title again and they'll bring another title away and then people say oh it's so good there's finally another title again <laughs> it's just like it did they just oh god and and people will just fall for this hook, line, and sinker every single time and, and just, oh, my God. It's just so many unifications and undisputeds and worlds and, ah, oh, what? There has to be an easier way. There just has to be. And I'm not even going to get into the NXT titles. I don't even want to talk about this anymore, so I'm going to move on. Uh, WWE has ended their exclusive negotiating window. Andrew Marchand of uh, the New York Post was the first to uh, have this. Uh, he announced that WWE's exclusive negotiating window with NBC Universal and Fox has expired, and the company is now free to explore and negotiate new TV deals with any network or broadcasters that they would like. He uh, mentioned that a lot of different places have expressed interest, including Amazon and Disney. 
Uh, the Disney mention came not with ESPN, though. If you're thinking, oh, okay, that makes sense. ESPN's got UFC. That might be a good spot for, for WWE. They did not mention, or, or Marchand, I should say, did not mention uh, ESPN, but rather FX as a potential home for WWE if Disney were to get in the mix. Now, that is interesting because you might be thinking FX, but you said that Universal and, and Fox at Disney. I didn't really even know this either, but now it makes sense given you know where all the FX content is. But Disney owns FX now, not Fox. Even though FX is Fox without the, the O, Disney owns FX now, not Fox. It's very weird, very strange, but, but that's all you need to know. So Disney uh, potentially making a play potentially on FX. Uh, gave a few dark horses as well. Apple was mentioned as a potential dark horse for uh, this negotiating window or, or negotiating these new uh, uh, TV deals. And then an even real dark horse, an even darker horse that Marchan brings up, Warner Brothers Discovery, which, you know, they got money. They like live sports. They have AEW. Do they replace AEW with WWE? Do they bring both on? Who knows? He mentioned it as a dark horse, though. He said that it's not out of the question that Warner Brothers Discovery gets in the mix here. Uh, I don't really see why they would do that. You're, you're, you're already paying less money you know, for a, a, a relatively competitive um, wrestling property. But I guess if you want even more live sports, if Warner Brothers Discovery wants more live sports on their docket, you know, you can add WWE. Now, I don't know what that does for AEW. I don't know if they're super happy being second fill on Warner Brothers Discovery or whatever. But that, again, that's a real dark horse. You're looking at NBC Universal, Fox, Amazon, Disney, Apple, all these other big conglomerates are all involved as well. So who knows where exactly it's going to go. But uh, that's an interesting uh, little note there from uh, Andrew Marchand in the New York Post. Uh, Money in the Bank, last WWE topic here. Money in the Bank is coming up July 1st from the O2 Arena in London. Uh, the card is starting to take a little bit of shape here. We have the Money in the Bank ladder match for the men's uh, championship contract. Damian Priest, Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, LA Knight, Santos Escobar, and Butch. Uh, then the Money in the Bank ladder match for the women's contract is Bailey, Zelina Vega, Becky Lynch, Zoe Stark, Io Sky, and the Always Dangerous to be decided. We also have Cody Rhodes versus Dom Mysterio. Yes, Cody Rhodes versus Dom Mysterio. And then finally, World Heavyweight Championship, Seth freaking Rollins defending the title against Finn Balor. So there you go. That is Money in the Bank shaping up already, uh, getting started uh, in a bit there. So July 1st. Uh, last little news hit I will do before we get into the New Japan section of the show is some turmoil in the Chicago independent wrestling scene. It's been a very bizarre week uh, in the Chicago indie scene. Uh, for those that follow, last weekend, the morning of their scheduled show at uh, Chicago's Irving Hall, uh, AEW announced that the show had been canceled because Irving Hall had been shut down. <laughs> Uh, then Kate later came out that Freelance Wrestling, which is another prominent Chicago indie, who were running Irving Hall the night prior, had inspectors show up during their show at Irving Hall. Show up and say, all right, this thing's got to stop. You guys got to go. You don't have a building code, whatever it may be. We'll get to that in a bit. Freelance was able to kind of say, hey, well, well, hold on a minute. Let us finish our show and was able to do the remainder of the show before the building was ultimately shut down. So now Freelance and, and AEW are competitors in the marketplace, in the Chicago indie scene. They worked together to try to find a venue for AEW to do their Saturday show. There just wasn't enough time to get everything settled, and AEW had to cancel and give refunds to everybody who had a ticket. Now, there's a bit of background here as well. So now AEW and Freelance run a few different venues in the Chicagoland area. One of the most prominent of those 
is the Logan Square Auditorium, where they have both run several major, major shows. Freelance, that was kind of their home. Uh, AAW would bounce around between a few different places, but their major shows every year would take place at the Logan Square Auditorium. Now, both companies had shows scheduled at the Logan Square Auditorium throughout the spring and the summer. Then Logan Square Auditorium got an offer to host Star Wars Burlesque. I am not kidding. Star Wars Burlesque said, here's money. Can we rent out the Logan Square Auditorium? And the Logan Square Auditorium said, yes. Yes, you can. Thank you. And told the wrestling companies to kick rocks and find a new spot for the spring and the summer. Even though they had already sold tickets, even though they had already told people they were going to be at the Logan Square Auditorium, even though they already agreed to dates with the Logan Square Auditorium, Logan Square said, we got Star Wars Burlesque. Hit the, hit, hit the road. We don't really care. Come back when we're done with the Star Wars Burlesque. But for now, we don't really need you guys. We got, we got Star Wars Burlesque coming in. I'm not kidding. Star Wars Burlesque. That's what, that's what it was. And it was there for, I think it's still there. It might have been there for two or three months or whatever. It's insane. Now, what happened is the owner of the Logan Square Auditorium also owns this other venue called Irving Hall. And now they've never run Irving Hall. I had never been to Irving Hall. I went there for a show a couple weeks ago. Really good venue. I, I, I seem to like it. It, 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 it seemed to work. It seemed like a good place. It was in a decent location. I was able to get there and back pretty quickly. So, so I was like, hey, if this is their new venue, this is a new spot, works out for me. They presented Irving Hall as a backup option for both companies to run shows. You can still be in Chicago. You can still play to your, your, you know, your main base in the city of Chicago. And hey, it's a venue that I own and you've worked with me before, so that's fine. Okay, so they run Irving Hall. AEW ran Irving Hall. Freelance ran Irving Hall. Now, some residents in the area had started to realize that Irving Hall, which is usually doesn't have a whole lot of stuff going on, certainly not major wrestling events, started to get a lot of activity before and after shows and noise complaints followed and people saying, hey, what's going on here? There's like big events going on at Irving Hall all the time. Like when did this all of a sudden happen? How, how, how is this happening? So city officials went to go check on the facility during that Friday show that Freelance had and they find out that, whoops, Irving Hall doesn't have a live event license and thus has to be shut down. They did not buy a license. They did not get the right approval to run live events. Now, did they just not know they didn't have that? Was it just completely ignorant? I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know what the the whole background of that is. All I know is that Irving Hall didn't have a live event license and was running live events. So the city of Chicago came in and said, you can't run live events without a live event license, and thus was shut down. Now, of course, again, this is the guy that, runs Logan Square Auditorium as well that also owns this building and told these wrestling companies, hey, try Irving Hall. That'll be a good spot for you. Did he know full well they didn't have a live event license? Probably. That kind of sucks. So he let them out to dry by saying, fuck you. Go, you know, Star Wars burlesque is here. We don't really need you anymore. And then left them out even more to dry to say, hey, run this venue that doesn't have proper licensing. So not good. Not great at all. And uh, AAW sent out an email this morning to past ticket buyers that stated, quote, for the first time in AAW history, a venue owner's negligent, uh, negligence has brought on the biggest financial hardship we have ever faced. We have been doing business with the owner of the Logan Square Auditorium, Irving Hall, since 2015, and it is sad to say the trust has been broken. So there you go. Just an insane, insane story there. Uh, but it gets even more ridiculous and more you know, kind of uh, uh, unfortunate for uh, AAW and freelance wrestling and, and, and really the entire you know, Chicago wrestling scene because Logan Square Auditorium was a, you know, plenty of shows ran there. And that was a good venue, a centrally located venue. Chikara ran there many years ago. Uh, a few other companies I know have a wow. I, I think uh, Women's Wrestling ran there as well. Plenty of other companies have run Logan Square Auditorium over the years. 
can't use that anymore. AEW doesn't want to use them anymore. Freelance doesn't want to use them anymore. And after the Irving Hall thing, it's like, okay, now we're, we're definitely good. You know what I mean? Like, you left us off to dry with doing the Star Wars burlesque. Now you tell us to run this venue that doesn't have a live event license. Freelance has to basically beg off these, these inspectors to try to finish their show so the fans that bought tickets could see the entire show. Trust is broken. That seems like that's going to be done. So that, those are two major venues, or at least one major venue that's just done for, for, for AEW and Freelance for any other companies in the Chicagoland area. To compound these issues, AAW had another mainstay venue that they ran plenty of times, 115 Bourbon Street in Marionette Park, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Um, not that far for me to get to, kind of a, a south suburbs of Chicago if you're familiar with the area. 115 Bourbon Street, a, a, a very iconic venue in AAW history. Well, in that very same email, we come to find out that they can no longer host sporting events as well. Quote, a few weeks prior, we were informed by 115 Bourbon Street that we can no longer have events there. Their insurance company was bought out by a bigger company, and they were forced to cancel all boxing, MMA, and pro wrestling events. This wasn't easy news to take, but we will move forward. And again, they had shows booked for 115 Bourbon Street. So they had shows booked for Logan Square Auditorium. They had shows booked for 115 Bourbon Street. They were selling tickets for these things. or I don't know if they were selling tickets or, or just announced them or whatever, but... Now, essentially, had to tell people, sorry, we're not going to be at 115 Bourbon Street. We're not going to be at Logan Square. None of those shows are going to happen from the locations that we said they were going to happen. Instead, now, they're going back to the Eagles Club for shows in July, August, October, and December. And what this means moving forward for freelance, AAW, just the Chicago wrestling scene in general, who knows? GCW has been running another venue called Talia, uh, Talia Hall or Dahlia Hall. Um, they've been doing that frequently. So maybe they can go, you know, maybe these other companies can start working, uh, you know, running there. Uh, AEW did, as I said, announce a bunch of dates in Berwyn Eagles Club. But speaking of the Berwyn Eagles Club, and this throws another wrench into the whole situation as well, is that ICW No Holds Barred and another deathmatch company are running the Eagles Club this week. Now, anybody who's ever watched the Eagles Club, if you've watched Shimmer, you've seen the Eagles Club. If you watch AEW in its early days, you've seen matches from the Eagles Club. If you've, There are a lot of companies have run the Eagles Club. Black Label Pro has recently started running uh, the Eagles Club in Berwyn. That building has always been very protective of what goes on in that venue. They're fine with wrestling, but they want a certain level of wrestling. They don't want certain things to be done in that venue. It's a carpeted building. It's a small bingo hall event venue it's not really the best place to be hitting people with light tubes or putting a bunch of debris and dust into the air or, 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 or ruining the, the, the chandeliers or breaking the, the walls or whatever. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a fun venue. I love going to the Eagles Club. It's a really, really cool venue, but it's not one that really can be destroyed. It's not one that really they want a bunch of shit happening there because the next morning they got to clean that thing out and do a bingo event for, you know, for the local residents or whatever. It's, it's, it's a building that's used for, by a lot of people. It's an Eagles club. You know, it's used by a lot of people. It's carpeted. There's not that great of ventilation. It's a cool venue, a great venue for wrestling, a lot of great memories in that building, but not exactly the place where I want to be five feet away from a bunch of light tubes or I want a bunch of light tube dust in the air. Now, ICW No Holds Barred has, has said, because people have sort of asked, like, that's kind of weird you're running a deathmatch thing in the Eagles Club. Or, you know, do they know this? ICW and this other deathmatch company claims that the Eagles Club is well aware of what's going on this weekend and will have no problem with it. So stay tuned. I know people in that scene that are not, do not think that the Eagles Club really fully understands what's going on there this weekend. People that I've talked to, people that are, are in that scene, people that wrestle in that scene, people that work, are all like, yeah, I don't know if the Eagles Club quite knows exactly what is happening on this show. 
that don't quite understand the level of violence and weaponry and all that sort of stuff that's probably going to happen. Now, is ICW no holds barred and, another, and that other deathmatch coming out? Name escapes me. It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to watch them anyway. It's a deathmatch. I don't need that in my life. Um, are they going to tone things down a little bit? Maybe. I don't know. But they seem to think that they've had a conversation with the Berwyn Eagles Club. They're good to go. So who knows? After this weekend, the Eagles Club might say, fuck it, we don't want wrestling either. And then I don't know where they're going to wrestle. They'll wrestle in my backyard or something like that. Who knows? Not a great time in the Chicago indie wrestling uh, scene. But, all right. I think we are ready to take a quick break here and get Chris Samsa on to talk about the G1 Climax. So, I'm going to take a quick break. You're going to hear some hold music in the background as I mute some things for a minute. Get things all ready. But we'll be right back shortly uh, with Chris Samsa talking about the New Japan G1 Climax and finishing this week's episode of the Flagship Podcast. So just stick with us for a minute. Uh, we will be back, and we will have plenty of fun discussions about the G1 Climax, stats, figures, all the other stuff. So enjoy the awful, awful, awful Cisco hold music. Be right back. We get the last half of our show here as we are going to talk with Chris Samsa about the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can follow him on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. You can see his work or listen to his work, hear his work all the time on New Japan World, mentioned very often by one Kevin Kelly throughout the show. But Chris Samsa, thank you so much for coming on here and talking New Japan Pro Wrestling with us. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, even though I was, what, the third person that you asked to talk about the G1? Well, look, I wanted Damon, and you got to get, I mean, <laughs> if you can get Damon, you got to get Damon. I mean, that that's, that's I agree. you always got to get Damon. And then Joel, I don't know, he was, oh, no, J. Michael. I wanted to get J. Michael because he's got just the weirdest thoughts about everything. And then, I don't know if he wants to, ah, screw it, he's J. Michael, he doesn't really care. I asked him because I was like, hey, you know, I know you have some interesting thoughts about the G1 and where things are going to, you know, get placed and whatnot and, and who's going to be doing what or whatever would you come out of the flagship and he goes i would love to but i have a fencing tournament to go to yeah <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. oh and not attend no it's participate in and he says i have a real chance at a medal and i was like well, i can't take you away from that so yes he is fencing <laughs> i didn't yes. be, he I was, didn't know he was messaging fenced, me but there you he go. was messaging me like an hour ago and i was like we were just chatting. We were talking G1 stuff, of course, because he's kind of he's 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 the only person that on my level, I think. He's a psychopath. Like he's an absolute looking psychopath. at looking yeah. at the details of this. And like he's he goes well beyond in, in the sense of how many words he uses to explain it all in in excruciating detail. But um, I was he was like, we're talking about a, a different project that we're working on together. And, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I got to I got to run. I've got to put some notes together whatever for the flagship he's like oh yeah rich asked me to do that too and i was like you know what i'm a, i'm gonna bring this up because now i'm a third on the list <laughs> you were third is, you were third you were third. is respectable i you know listen yeah i'm sure you know i don't need the shine i mean here i am right but like um yeah yeah i, I figured you deserve some grief for that no, but for i did sure, get the sure. 
I did get the awesome. Uh, I mean, that's my theme music that you played just now. So like, at least I got a full entrance. Yeah, Cisco. So yeah, you got, you got they got the the whole music that uh, either infuriates everybody. The first time I played it, it infuriated everybody, and everybody was so upset. And now this time, people were like, "Hell yeah, this song actually rocks!" Like, and when I I, I played on the episode, people were like, "Actually, we do play that more." And people didn't know about that. There was some humans on Earth that didn't know about that hold music, and I was like, "Oh man, well <laughs> you've." Never called an insurance company or an IT department or like internal anything. Like you've never I, I God bless those people that have never had to hear that music. You you have lived a blessed life, but for the rest of us, uh it only has pain and sorrow uh involved in it. But it, it slaps. <laughs> it's a great song. It actually rules. So it, it we were just talking, it it turns a lot of corners that you don't expect. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. And you gotta it, stick with it. I, are you going to leave it in for the the downloading oh, customers yeah, yeah, for tomorrow? Sure. I might, I might okay. shorten it a little bit. I think it, w- sure. it went on for like three or four minutes. Right now. I'll probably I'll probably sure. lessen it a little bit, but uh, I think it's got to go in there a little bit unless I get a cease. I had to do Cisco all my I... my mid point and turns. Um, so like that, that's why we had to go so long on the theme song. <laughs> right, right. So full entrance in. Absolutely. Yeah, you did the spin, the Miz spin when you got to the ramp or whatever. But uh, yep. there we go. Chris Sampson, you, uh, thank you so much for joining us here. Real quickly before we get into this uh, G1, if you want to get your plugs out of the way, let people know where they can follow you, read you, listen to you, all that other good stuff. Sure, yeah. So Twitter, at the Chris Sampson. I'm, I'm holding that down. Uh, if Twitter dies, you, will, you won't be able to find You'll have to email me. Um, but yeah, so Twitter, at the Chris Sampson. Um, you can probably find... Some of my work as we lead up to the G1, you'll be able to find something at njpw1972.com, the official uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling English language website. I'm sure I'll put together um, at least one form of kind of my my preview work for them. And uh, depending on the word limit that I get there, I will probably you know send some stuff over back to Voices of Wrestling because I like to consider myself a seasonal contributor to Voices of Wrestling. And those seasons are G1 and Wrestle Kingdom when I want to really flesh out my work. So, um, yeah, that's that's where you can find me coming up. There it is. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff uh, uh, coming up uh, with the G1, obviously. And now we, you know, we previewed the G1 a little bit of uh, last week on the flagship, Joe and myself, about, you know, who was involved in it and all the names in there. Uh, and then we got blocks. So we got blocks. We got schedules. We're pretty much ready to go here, man. We're, we're, we're locked in. We just need a we need to see the suit game when everybody shows up to the press conferences. We just need that. The the picture of the everybody in the field. I hope we get again this year. 32 guys going to have to be a big picture. But uh, that's all that's really left. And then the G1 itself coming up uh, very soon here. But I want to talk a little bit about you know, the blocks, the, the, the formatting of the blocks. And then what I really want to dig into, and this is obviously what you do uh, for New Japan World and, and, and helping the commentary team uh, and doing it for the website as well, is digging into a little bit of the numbers and what this sort of stuff tells us about New Japan for wrestling. So for longtime listeners of the, or long-time listeners of the flagship, people that have been around for Voice of Wrestling for, for years, you knew that we used to do the New Japan ebook. Uh, many, many years ago, we did it for five or six years or whatever. And one of the reasons why we wanted to do it is that stats matter in New Japan Pro Wrestling. In the rest of wrestling, they don't really matter that much. You know what I mean? A lot of wrestling companies just do shit to do shit, book things to book things. Wins don't really matter. Card placement doesn't really matter. Uh, past match histories don't really matter that much. AEW has changed that a little bit, but WWE does not give a shit at all about it. It means absolutely nothing. The indies, it's impossible to do. Old territory wrestling, yeah, a little bit, but not with any sort of care or, or understanding or whatever. Whereas New Japan Pro Wrestling, more so than any other company, All Japan did it a little bit in, in, in the 80s and 90s too, but New Japan Pro Wrestling, we, we, 
if you dig into the numbers of the win losses, where people are placed on cards, where people, if they're main eventing or not main eventing, all these sort of things and where they are, especially the G1 season, what do the final matches look like on the G1 night? I mean, what, what like you're able to kind of break down and, and, and sort of deconstruct a G1 and deconstruct the New Japan for wrestling in a way that you can't do for any other wrestling company in terms of the stats and the figures and all that sort of stuff. And that's what you were able to do so well uh, at sportofprowrestling.com and for New Japan World and stuff is 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 digging even further in these numbers. We just did basic like win-loss records. Like, hey, these guys are really protected. They win a lot more than they lose or whatever. Like easy stuff like that. You've been able to kind of dig in a little bit more uh, uh, to that over the last couple of years for, for, for New Japan World and, and the website as well. And that has made it a lot more fun, too, to dig into New Japan Pro Wrestling stats and figures and stuff because it all still matters. And it, it always, 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 always matters in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that's so cool that, that there's one wrestling company on earth that still really, really cares about every single win and every single loss matters. And who gets the pinfall in every single match matters. And who takes the loss in every single match matters. No result in that entire company at any point during the year is worthless or just, ah, whatever, have that guy lose. Who cares? Everything is like, well, hold on a minute. That guy is the one that has to lose, and that's the guy that has to win. Even if it's a random 10-man tag, the guy who gets the pinfall and the guy who takes the, the the loss, all that stuff matters. And in G1 season, it matters even more as well. So we're going to dig into a lot of that. Uh, you've you've compiled some numbers here that we're going to talk about. I'll let you kind of uh, lead that as, as, as you go over a lot of the numbers and, and, and things that jumped out at you. But let's go over these blocks and, and discuss kind of our thoughts on every one of the blocks. Uh, we were doing four blocks this year. In the G1, uh, obviously 32 wrestlers, four blocks, a little bit of an interesting schedule at the end. I guess we, we should bring that up because that is still a bit of a confusion point uh, for a lot of people of how this tournament's going to sort of complete and end or whatever. So we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. But obviously, this starts July 15th, runs through August 13th. Uh, block matches. This is actually an interesting point. And I, I, I do let's let's actually do this because I know you've been discussing this a little bit with people. They've made a note that block matches have a time limit of 20 minutes this year. Now, some people, have, and myself included, have been like, oh, okay, that's actually kind of cool that, that, that they're going to do some things different. Block limits of 20 minutes, that's going to change a lot of things. You don't think that's going to change a whole lot of things, right, given historical significance of, of that 20 minutes in G1s? What, what kind yeah. of data have you been able to kind of compile for that? Yeah, well, so I, I think it'll change a little bit. Um, but when it, when it really comes down to it, 9.6% of all G1 Climax matches, this goes all the way back to 1991, have been longer than 20 minutes. And that's that's block matches. Almost all of the finals have gone over 20. Um, but we're talking block matches because all the single elimination matches won't have any time limit at all. So quarterfinals this year, semifinals and finals will be no time limit. You have to have a winner, etc. Um, block matches, though, so that 9.6%. So basically 1 in 10 goes over 20 minutes so it's most probably mostly your main events um the really hot contested matches that are going to go on on and on and maybe even tease that 30 minute time limit um but when it really comes down to it that's not that many matches at scale right so you know when i'm looking back at say the last 10 years of g1 climax match averages um 2021 was the peak and that that's the year that i think we're gonna see things if you compare these two years 2021 so go back two years and then this year i think you're gonna see this stark difference in in kind of the pacing of the tournament because in 2021 we reached a tournament history all-time all high 
uh, match length average high of 17 minutes and 17 seconds, which was, you know, almost two minutes longer than the previous highs. And as we go all the way back to 2012, we're looking at match averages of like 11 and a half minutes, even even lower in 2014 when they had an expanded field where they they ran an average of 1039. So G1 matches don't typically go that long. Um, they do typically feel a little more sprint-like. And I do think that um, New Japan, for whatever reason, had, well, there's a lot of hypotheses around what the reasons were, but they got away from being succinct in this particular tournament. There was no undercard for a couple of years. Um, the, you know, we... The, COVID was a tough run. So now I think this to me feels a little bit like an overcorrection that like, I'm not sure that they actually need to change the time limit, which actually really kind of affects, you know, Jay Michael and, and his like super deep dive historical stuff where like, as soon as you add another variable to kind of all the factors, you have to kind of throw everything out. But as I've been saying in, in various different places throughout this year, this does feel like a pivot point for New Japan where we're we're turning some corners and we're trying some different things. And we're going to talk a lot about some different things that we're trying through the booking of the G1. But just changing the time limit adds another story to tell at some point yeah. throughout the tournament. Right. So I think it's it's just enough. But I don't think it's going to feel all that different than your traditional 30-minute time limit G1, except maybe in those main events. But we're gonna—I think we're gonna talk about main events in general. Yeah. Um, coming up here soon because the main event booking is odd, weird. To say the least. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. Know, I don't know. <laughs> There's no other way to say odd. it. Yeah, I don't know what it's. It's perplexing in some ways, but also like, huh? What is? How is this going to look? How is this going to work out? Um, yeah, but it, it's the fact that they announced it to me was telling because it wasn't just like hey we're gonna do this and whatever like they tried to make a pretty big note hey these block matches are gonna have 20 minute time limits and like you said it's probably not gonna come into play all that often except when it does which it might and then also even when it doesn't just the idea and they're gonna be able to sell this and the wrestlers are gonna be able to sell this that hey we only got 20 minutes so we need to get i, I at it you know what i mean just the idea that the matches are gonna maybe have that sort of uh, uh feel to it where it's like all right we don't have a whole lot of time to mess around here. We got to get at it right away. So the bell rings. Don't fuck around. Don't jack around. Like, let's go. We got it. And, and that's even if it's not really going to be a ton of matches that go 19 minutes or whatever or, or, or butt right up against that 20 minutes. Just the idea that they announced it. And then, it, it, like you said, it's another story to tell that, like, all right, they only got 20 minutes here. So they better make the most of every you know, second they possibly have. And I think that's a good thing when you said, like, we got to the nadir of, of, uh, of G1s where, you know, 17 minutes or whatever. Uh, as your average match length in, in, in 2021, it was just like, yeah, that nobody really needed that. Nobody really needed uh, matches to go that long. And and hopefully because of this and just, a, uh, you know, the 32 person block or whatever that we and, and New Japan's done this throughout the year as well, I think, in terms of match lengths have have definitely felt like they're nowhere near as long as they were during you know, those COVID years, which for a multitude of reasons they were long because you know they didn't have undercards like you said the roster was was split in half basically they had no uh, outsiders and it was just like all right well here's five matches and we don't want people are coming to this show so that we don't want to give them their you know three or four hours worth so we'll just have every match be you know 30 minutes or whatever to, to give them their money's worth but for the you know the viewing audience a clap crowd 30 minute you know in in, in these weird atmospheres 
uh, wasn't great. But this feels like a great opportunity for them to sort of pivot off of that and say, all right, we got to get let's get back to to quick matches, quick moments, quick you know G ones, bell rings, guys go at one another, and that's that's healthy. I think that's a good thing, uh, and I'm excited for that to be uh, uh, the case. So you got the 30 minute time limit. Uh, we'll, we'll again touch or the 20 minute time limit for block matches. Uh, we'll touch on the the semifinals and how all that's going to play out. Uh, in a bit here, but let's talk about the actual blocks themselves. So you have the A block, G1 Climax A block. Uh, you have Sonata, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Chase Owens, Hikuleo, Ren Narita, Shota Umino, Yota Suji, Gabe Kidd, and Kaito Kiyomiya, the pro wrestling Noah representative uh, in that A block. Now you got a lot of debuts. G1 debuts in that six. block. Six, yeah. Six, six of eight, yeah. Yeah, which is nuts. Because even like Hikuleo, which you might be like, oh, yeah, oh, no, yeah, he's like, I, he was one that I, I know Narita, obviously it's Narita, Uminu, Suji, Kid, Kiyomiya, that all makes sense. But Hikuleo is the one where I was like, oh, yeah, shit, Hikuleo has never been in a G1. So six of the eight guys, first time G1s, Chase Owens, and then the IWGP heavyweight champion. So this is a an interesting block. What is your thought on the B block, or the A block, rather? Do you like the idea of just putting a lot of the first timers in there and saying let's let's see what these guys are all made out of? Oh yeah, and also the champion is there too. Like, what'd you make of this A block? I think it's 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 an interesting take on on a block. It is, yeah. It's it's kind of the first time they've ever done something quite like this, which is you know take a bunch of new guys. First of all, you rarely even have six new guys in AG one, much less in the same block, and then. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's most interesting then is that there's Sonata, right? There's Sonata right there, prime and right for the taking. Hopefully one of these guys can knock him off and get a, get a title shot later, right? So if you're, if you're looking at, you know, the future booking and the kind of you earn a title shot via a win in the G1, who's going to beat Sonata, right? And he's not going to run the block, right, and it's right. not going to be Chase <laughs> Owens. So, oh, come on, have a little you, <laughs> it's, it's probably not. Listen, but, you know. so... Chase Owens is in this block because he's a good wrestler, yeah. right? He's a good hand. He's that you kind of guy. You know what you're going to get people... out of him. You know exactly what you're going to get exactly. out of Chase and, Owens. And I, I also think he's got a pretty direct line to providing feedback about, you know, people in the ring to New Japan, right? So, like, he's just a guy who's been around for a long time. So, like, he does sort of fit, you know, in a meta way, he fits in this block, then you throw Sonata in there, he's the champion, and then you've got a bunch of new dudes that are going to, A, try to win a match against Sonata to fire themselves up into some sort of main event down the line, and B, they're going to beat the hell out of each other. So for me, this this block is super exciting because it feels like the beginning. It feels like the beginning of all this new generation, Umino, Narita, um, Suji, I'm sure if New Japan has their way, Kiyomiya, you know, even Hikaleo and Kid, right? Like, that's the next generation mm-hmm. of guys. And for them to start all, you know, they're all going to get their first G1 match against each other. And the G1 is kind of a contained story in itself annually, right? It's kind of like Wrestle Kingdom, where, like, there's certain matchups in the G1 that that tell a story over the course of a decade. Um and and I think we're going to see the beginning of some of those stories with some of these guys that we're sure that they're pretty high on. So I love the idea of the A block. I also I get the frustration that those guys aren't fighting bigger names or more established guys. But I think that I think it's a way to both test them and um, but 
but also sort of protect that whole group in a way. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I've, I'm kind of on both ends of it. When, when the initial blocks came out, I was a little disappointed because it was like, oh, man, like all the young guys are all just against each other. And it felt like the year where uh, New Japan had done a good job of, of, of sprinkling a lot of the new guys in big spots. Yotosuji just main evented Dominion. They were like, fuck it. He's a main eventer now. We're going to try it with him. Uh, Uminu obviously had the match with, with, with Naito uh, a, a couple of months ago. And that was like, OK, here we go. It's your spot, man. See what you can do with it. Uh, Narita hasn't yet got that spot, but this is a good opportunity to put him in the ring with a, a, a you know an Okada or something like that and see what he's got. And and Gabe Kidd as well, like they just put a lot of work into Gabe Kidd. He's in the Bullet Club now. He's obviously back and and seems fully focused. Let's throw him in there against you know top top tier guys and see what he's got and see what he's made of. But on the flip side of that too, I do also appreciate, like you said, a little bit of a throwback to like. You know, what was it? The G2, I think they called it. The U thir- Wasn't that what the U30 mm-hmm. tur- tournament was called? And it was like they had this G2 thing that uh, eventually ended up in the U30 title that Tanahashi uh, eventually won. And I believe Nakamura had the title as well and a few other guys, which was essentially, okay, we have all of our, you know, the old dudes. They're in the G1. And now we have this little mini tournament for not necessarily the Young Lions Cup. These aren't guys that are Young Lions. They've sort of graduated. But it's kind of this mini micro tournament of all the next generation of guys. And it, you know, at that time it was, you know, your Shinya Makabe's, your future, you know, Togi Makabe's, your Tanahashi's, your, uh, well, at that time, Toro Yano, (laughs) Minoru Fujita and those guys. And they all didn't work. You know, they weren't all obviously top, top tier guys or whatever, but uh, it made for a pretty fun tournament where, you know, a little micro tournament of all the younger guys. And like you said, I'm starting to see it now that like, you can tell a lot of really cool stories here, of all these guys getting their first G1 moments and getting their first big G1 wins and maybe advancing the block after beating, you know, a fellow young lion or a guy that was in their class or whatever. So there's so many other stories that you can now tell with these guys. Now, yeah, it's disappointing that, you know, Yota Suji, we're not going to see what he can do in with an Okada or a Tanahashi or a Naito or whatever. But, you know, there's plenty of time for, for Yota Suji. So I, I get that. I, I understand that. It's the thing that's got me is that the Sonata aspect of the block is confusing i'm I'm surprised there's not one other like top veteran guy in there there's not another like uh, a tanahashi or something like that or 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 even somebody like a goto or whatever the fact that like you said it's chase owens which seems on its face it's like how is chase owens there but like you said chase owens does serve a role that we might not all know and and they love that company loves chase owens we've talked about it time and time again on the flagship anybody getting mad about oh chase owens is getting booked in this or Get used to it, man. Unless he tells them he doesn't want to get booked anymore, he's going to get booked in these big-time spots. He, he is a guy that that has that company. He's He's been loyal to that company. He helped them out in a pinch, and they're always going to support him and always put you know whatever they can behind him. So he's going to be in there. But that's probably my only disappointment is that there's not just one other kind of dude, you know what I mean, like another guy in there that can kind of mix it up with these young guys. And instead, it's like all young guys, Chase Owens, and then Sonata. It's just, yeah, it's – Weird, but but I'm 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 fascinated to see how the points all play out in this A block because, like you said, Sonata can't run the table. So, is he going to lose to two of these guys, three of these guys? Like how I, many? Like how, Sonata's not even a champion that I think would would. Uh, you know, he's got a chance to lose. You know, like Hiromu did in the last Best of Super Juniors, yeah. like lose two two or three matches and like really not not play much of a factor. Uh, even though, you know, a quarter of each block is going to go through to the the knockout round. So, like, you do have to figure Sonata is probably going to make it to the quarters. But, like, that still doesn't mean he can't lose two or three matches out of seven. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the fun of this block, I think, is that that clear target 
maybe for some of these guys isn't even to win the block, but it's to beat Sonata. And that's always a fun story throughout the G1, too. Right. And that'd be that'd be fascinating to see. You know, Yotsuji gets another chance at him. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I guess Hikuleo has a potential. I mean, is he going to be the maybe, bad luck folly yeah. of this year's? You know, where it's like, oh shit! Well, I guess we're getting a you know bad luck folly versus Okada match. You know, which is great. Point. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, these other guys and, and Kiyomiya is obviously the huge, huge X factor here. And I know, you know, I, I've seen people predicting this guy to win the whole thing. To he's going to be in the middle of the block. To oh, they're going to have him lose every match. Like, and I. Honestly, I don't know. I have no earthly idea. If I had to do a pick him or something like that for Kaito Kiyomiya, I have no idea. I think he probably is in the top quarter of that block, probably advances into whatever the thing's going to be, but, uh, you know, into the quarterfinals and stuff like that. But I I don't know. If you told me he's going to go, you know, perfectly 500 or he's going to be one in whatever, you know, like I, 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 I guess I could buy that too, but it just feels like, I don't know. He, he feels like he's there and there's a little bit more importance on him, at least the way I sense it. Uh, that they would yeah. want to protect him and, and have him get a lot of wins over a lot of these other guys. Yeah, and the the whole story with Kiyomiya is Okada. And the only way for Okada and Kiyomiya to match up in this G1 is in the semifinals. So, like, that's not even the quarters. They can't they can't meet in the quarters just based on how those mm-hmm. are, are laid out. So, I mean, he's got to go... He's, if he's going to get a win over Okada in this tournament... He has to go to the finals, so it probably has to be block winner. He's at least at least first in, in in the A block because for people that don't know the quarterfinals, I guess this is a good time to mention it. The yeah. quarterfinals is there's four quarterfinals. The first place in block A is going to face the second place in block C. Quarterfinal number two, block B block winner first place is going to be facing the D block second place. Quarterfinal number three, C block first place versus B block second place, and then quarterfinal quarter number four, D block first place versus A block fourth place or second place. So, like you said there, what, what's interesting about that is that if Kiyomiya, let's say he comes in second, then he's got to beat whoever wins the D block in a quarterfinal, and that's kind of a big match too because that's going to be a, a, a Naito or I, I doubt a Tanahashi anymore. It's probably going to be a Naito. I, I'd imagine Naito maybe comes out of that D block or a Zack Sabre Jr. or something like that. Or, you know, they, they, they have to get a little wild there, and Kimi is going to have to beat a big-time New Japan guy. He's going to have to beat a Naito, a Tanahashi, a Goto, a, a Sabre, one of those sort of guys. I don't think Shane Haste, unfortunately, is, uh, is winning that D block there, so I, I left him out of there. But that seems weird. So I guess the best thing for him to do is, you know, become first place in the A block and then have to beat, whoever the C block second place person is to then, like you said, get to the semifinal and face Okada. But then he's got to win most of the A block matches, which is weird. Right. And he's got a, well, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, he's Kimio is a, a legitimate star for Noah and you've got a bunch of new guys, you know, in the block with him. So yeah. I guess when it comes down to it, you know, respectable booking would would put him over a bunch of those guys but if i look at the you know i'm kind of jumping around here but if i look at kind of the where kiyomiya's booked he's he has one main event uh two matches in the sixth spot but then one in the third spot and two opening matches so like he's not booked super high on the card so they're definitely not depending on him to like draw the tickets. Um, that doesn't mean he can't win all those matches, but um, 
maybe they're maybe they're trying to familiarize their fan base with him via a bunch of wins in kind of lower card matches before mm-hmm. he goes into the knockout round and kind of probably tears through it then at that point i don't know that he would necessarily get an okada win back but i think I, I, you gotta figure it, it would be hard to deny the fan base that match in this tournament because we're everyone looked for how do we get there um especially after you know all together again and and some more interactions between the those two so yeah he's he is without a doubt the most interesting wrestler in the a block of of kind of how he lands yeah and and like you said it's you know if there seems like no reason for him to be in this unless we're going to do something with okada otherwise he's just like there and it's like all right uh and then he goes back to no and it's like all right whatever like it doesn't feel that like it he's got it like they either noah's bringing him here because they want him to 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 get a big push or, or 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 look good here or New Japan's trying to soft steal this guy or whatever through the G1 or whatever, or he's fully planning on jumping to, to New Japan, or Noah wants that match against uh, Okada, or is like, hey, I, I laid down for Okada one time, well, now I got to get that match back. There's so many factors that lead into it, and none of them lead to Kiyomiya just being like a perfunctory guy in the A block who goes 500 and then leaves and goes home. It's like none of those scenarios work out well. Like He's got to be involved in something. He's got to be involved in, in, in either winning the or being first in the block, going to the quarterfinals, facing Okada, winning the whole thing. Like there's something he's got to be involved in something. And I would just be stunned if he just, you know, wins a couple matches, loses the render read on the final night, and then just like departs. And he's like, thank you. All right, see ya. It's like there's just I don't know what the purpose of that would be. And and so it's just it, it's real strange. But yeah, he's a guy to keep an eye on in the A block because just so many other things can uh can play out with him. And and yeah, it's it's all it's all pointing to something with Okada. Uh, I just don't know how we're going to get there, which uh, leads us, I guess, pretty well uh, into the B block, which is Okada, Yoshihashi, Taichi, Kenta, Great Okan, Will Ospreay, Tangaloa, and El Phantasmo. Yes, folks, we are getting Okada versus Will Ospreay in the motherfucking G1. Doesn't matter. Who, who cares about all the it, other stuff? Who cares? <laughs> like, I mean, that's that on paper, that's the biggest match of the G1. Yes. And it's not even close. Um, you know, there will be some other great stuff, especially as we start to talk about C block, right? Like, but like Okada Osprey in Ota City, uh, it's gonna be a banger. That and and honestly, like it's one it's one to watch because I think most of the people listening to your show probably know that Will Osprey um, doesn't his contract. We we all believe that his contract with New Japan is up, you know, in the early part of next year, which means. You know, if he's gonna get a G one uh, on kind of this, you know, career cycle at, in, in New Japan, it's probably gonna be this one. And the thing that I'm watching out for is if he's finally gonna get a clean win over Okada. If they don't have plans for that to be the Wrestle Kingdom program, it might happen here. Um, just as a, I mean, you, you know that they've been building towards that, but I don't think they want to miss that opportunity either. Even if Will's leaving, I don't think, and, and Will's said a lot of things in the press. He doesn't want to leave and blah, 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 blah. But I don't think that's a risk you can take if you wanted to finish that story in one way or another. So that, I believe that's July 27th at Ota City. That's like the, the most main event. Yeah. That's the most main event match of the tournament. Um, So yeah, that's, that's going to be awesome. And then he, I think Osprey and Great Okan also open one of the Corkin shows, which I think will be really awesome. And that's right around the same time. I think it's either the 25th or the 26th. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the other match from the B block that I'm I'm keeping my eyes out on. But you know, the B block is it's kind of the established guys that are closer to their prime, right? I think every block this year actually sort of has a a loose theme yeah, as we kind of discussed sure. with the A block. So like you know, Okada, Yoshihashi, like Taichi, Will Ospreay, Great Okan, El Fantasmo, like they're at different stages, but they're all, you know, within that kind of prime space. And then you've got Kenta who typically delivers, um, you know, on kind of the lower card matches for the G ones over the past couple of years. So, but he's in there to, to add some kind of story elements too. So I think the, the B block is an interesting block though. You know, it does seem primed for Okada and will to come out of, um, even re- re- kind of regardless of of how their 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 match against each other holds out. Yeah, for sure. That, that they seem like the two most likely. I guess the the two dark horses might be uh, Great Okan if they're finally re- ready to maybe you know kick that into overdrive a little bit, get him going a little bit more. Particularly like you said, where where if you're not quite sure about Will, maybe you have Great Okan beat Will Osprey, and you start to kind of tell that story of you know him mm-hmm. maybe slowly taking over the United Empire, kind of being like, eh, hold on a minute, I just beat you, like. You're the leader, yeah. but I'm, you know, so that that's a cool story to look out on. And El Phantasmo as well. He's a guy that they've been building up now for basically a year, trying to kind of get him to that next level. Uh, he's going to have a match with Will, and you know Will is going to bust his ass to make El Phantasmo look as good oh. as he possibly can in that match. So that's another one to circle, too, that I'm sure Will, like, wants to lose so badly. And they're probably like, no, we can't have you lose to El Phantasmo. It's, like, not going to work for the story, but I'm sure they're going to try to make it. Because knowing Will Ospreay and knowing what he likes to do and how, who he likes to put over and how he likes to put people over, I, I'm sure that he's wants like hell for El Phantasmo to go out there and beat him in this G1 and, and, and make it this big-time moment and make it this big-time match. But he's got to keep an eye on, too. Like, I don't I don't think he's going to make it to the quarterfinals, but I think he's a guy that will be at least be in the mix, whereas, like, your Kentas and your Tangaloas and even your Taichi, who I guess is, is, is pushed to a certain level, but I don't I don't think those guys are going to be in the mix whatsoever. Uh, and and Yoshihashi's a champion, but I don't... I You know, he's, they're not going to push him. He's really... I mean, Yoshihashi's falling into this this like primary tag team guy yeah exactly um, which which is awesome he's perfect for that um yeah el phantasmo does have uh, a main event against okada too so he's a, el phantasmo is a guy that i'm going to be watching this tournament because he's kind of in flux he doesn't really have a home in new japan right now he's out of bullet club he's baby face um and i think that this could be kind of his coming out party and yeah the the will match and then the okada match are kind of the two to watch from from him for sure and then, yeah, the, the Yoshihashi point that you mentioned, too, it, it helps now that he's like a tag team guy. So now you don't even have to think about him in like a G1 because now it can be like, oh, he's, you know, he's without his partner. So it's like he can't quite yeah. get it together type thing, which I think is a great, great story to tell uh, with him. And it's perfect for him, you know, losing a bunch of matches. It's like, oh, he's used to being a tag team now. He's not used to being a singles guy. So it, the adjustment is pretty big for for him. But uh, uh, there you go with the B block. I I am definitely dreading Kenta versus Tangaloa though. That's, I don't I don't need. To, <laughs> I might skip that match. I might. Well, it might be funny. It might be funny. I don't know. I we'll, we'll see. How, Kenta how... Kenta in the G one is he he kind of it becomes a little samey, but it's it is typically very entertaining. Yeah. What, what um, night is that one on? Uh, let's if it's see. early, I might still do it. If it's like night ten, I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? By night ten, I'm like I, I got it. I got it. Uh, where what are we looking for? Kenta, Kenta, and uh, Tangaloa, the only person that's ever gonna ask for, for where they are. I'll, I'll see if I could find it in my uh, uh, my notes as well, but uh, yeah, not 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 a match that uh, anybody is, is circling on their uh, 
Uh, they're bored here. I think it looks like it is taking place. Oh, it's early. It's early. 15th. Yeah, okay, no, it's, right the, night one. it's night right, one. I'm watching. I'm still watching that. Nikenta is still going to be one. funny. Still going to be funny. Third, good, good booking. Good third booking. match okay. on the card. That's good booking That's right good there. booking. All right, because nobody yeah. needs that on, like, night nine. Nobody needs it on night nine. Nobody, <laughs> But night one, still funny, still good. So, okay, I'm in. That is good booking by them. All right. Yeah, one interesting thing about the B block really quick. Great Ocon doesn't have a match in the top three matches on on any card hmm. so he he is in match one through five for the entire tournament he doesn't have a sixth a seventh or an eighth match strange yeah so i guess it you is know, I'm, I'm thinking he might that, be a guy but maybe he's not a guy or we don't know this i was gonna G1's say weird. that <laughs> this g1's weird right because he's he's kind of in the same range as kiyomiya kiyomiya just has one main event it happens to be against sonata but other than that they're they're kind of card placement booking is not all that different so, yeah, maybe this, I mean, this year is all about establishing kind of next generation for New Japan. So maybe that's part of the plan here. I don't know. Right. I mean, right. like I said, the, the great Okan Will Osprey match is the first match on the card. And that's a that's a featured spot at a Corican, too. So, yeah, it's hard for me to, I, I can't put a ton of weight in that, but it is it is interesting that he's with that kind of, bottom mm-hmm. group the only other people like him you know with no no matches kind of in the top half of the card are gabe kid toriano alex coglin chase owens and mikey nichols so like that's weird company yeah that's yeah that's not company that i'd i'd want okan to be in but yeah that's, that's right that's odd and that, that is yeah that's one just perplexing thing about this g1 is it's it's a lot of the card placement doesn't really make sense when usually New Japan's very meticulous about it, and it might make sense in the end. It might be like an aha moment, right. Eventually, but right now it's just like, oh, why is that guy in that spot? And that you know, so it, it's well, it's, like we were talking about predictability and like the booking means something, right? And yeah. Like card placement this year, especially because you're doing two blocks a night, and they were steadfast in. Uh, the A block, the B block, the C block, and the D block, they all have three main events um, each. And they each, uh, like, they alternate matches every night. It's not like you get, like, an A, two A's and then two B's or anything like that. It's like A, B, or C, D, C, D, C, D. So, like, they were very steadfast in, like, how they put the match order. Um, so, I, I'm sure that factors into, like, why we have some kind of a little odd on uh you know the main event or semi main event side. Uh the C block we have David Finley, Tomohiro Ishii, uh Evil, Tamatonga, Shingo Takagi, Aaron Hanari, Eddie Kingston making his G1 debut and Mikey Nichols. Mad Mikey Nichols. There we go. Mikey Nichols versus Evil, Evil versus Tamatonga. Oh boy. But uh, there's a lot to like in this Shingo <laughs> Eddie Kingston's not surviving this tournament, right? Like he he's uh, the man will be dead. <laughs> the man has to face Shingo and Tomohiro Ishii, he will be dead. It's I was surprised to hear him announced as the kind of AEW Ring of Honor representative just on the pure yeah, on the pure fact that I, it totally makes sense like that he's this guy that puts this stuff like on a pedestal and i think that that's awesome and i think people are going to really enjoy seeing him in the g1 yeah but my goodness like when like th- that dude shows up and goes a hundred percent like there's no other option and you put him in a g1 in some of the most story buildings in japan 
most of which, actually probably all of which he has never wrestled in, like, this man's going to show up and give his all, and I'm kind of worried about that. <laughs> I am worried about his well-being in, in, in matches with, uh, you know, with, 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 with Ishii and, and, and Shingo, and really just anybody, because like you said, he's going to go, and he just came back from a hernia, so it's like the guy isn't, like, coming in at, at, the, at the most health that he's ever been in, and, and there's a little bit of gap, but he's night two against, you know, Shingo. Shingo. He's going to work his ass off there. The man is the man is going to Corican Hall and facing Tomori Ushi. He's not surviving that. That's going to be <laughs> awesome. Like, not gonna, that match is going to rule, and they're going to do so many headbutts to each other that both men might die. Like they, we might if, see if I'm two men die if, on that night. If I'm Eddie Kingston, I'm looking at. I just need to make it there. Yeah, who cares? Right? Yeah, I'll, you, I'll, I'll, like, I'll forfeit to Mikey Nichols and Tamatonga and David Finley. Who gives a shit? Give me Ishii at Corican Hall, and then I don't care. He could fly back at that point and just be like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm not coming back." And they're like, I "All mean, right, the, well, the, yeah, that's fine." The problem is his only main event's probably that David Finley match, which is the the C block final in Yokohama Budokan. So they, he he probably wants that too. But my yeah, my bet would be that that's your Eddie Kingston main event um, because thinking back to all of this, like Kingston and David Finley, they're not in the same block on accident, right? Like Kingston vanquished Jay White, so now you put Kingston in a big spot. Again. That's against David point. Finley yeah. on the last block, the last night of the C block, and if David King, David Finley beats Eddie Kingston, a little bit of the perception of strength is that Finley is a Finley was more prepared for Eddie Kingston than Jay White was. So you know, like that that it's a little bit of a mental gymnastics, but it does kind of start to put David Finley on a different level if he can beat the guy that sent Jay White packing. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. Yeah, this, this is an interesting block here with the, the inclusion of, of, of Eddie, um, David Finley, obviously in a big spot. Seems like a very, very strong contender to come out of the block or at least be one of the two that comes out of the block. And then Shingo, like where, what what the stat, you know, where we go with Shingo at this point in, in, in his New Japan career. I know people are, you know, ultimately and, and, and I'm probably one of those included, but now I've sort of understood it now is like Shingo had his run. He was at the top. It unfortunately happened to be during a pandemic and and now he's kind of, you know, he's just Shingo. But there's not a lot of other guys in this block that strike you as like guys that can absolutely make it out of that block. So I don't think it's a totally unrealistic possibility that Shingo is either number one or number two in the block and goes to the quarterfinals and ultimately loses or whatever. Because I don't know that I see Ishii in that spot. I'm not sure that I see Evil no. in that spot. I don't see Tomatonga in there. God, seriously, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. Uh, well, Tomatonga, he had his run. He had his run last year, right? Right. Where he right. got into the knockout round. Jeff Cobb had his run the previous year. So, like those guys have had their kind of G one arcs too. Shingo's and then, never really had yeah. that big G one where he was. You know, he's had great G1 matches, but he's never had the successful G1. Yeah, he's the guy that every single year when we were still kind of predicting things, Joe and I would have him, like, near the top of the block, or he's going to win this block, and then he'd, like, have, like, well, five the points. champion one year. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then he was, like, he won, like, you know, just a couple of matches. It was like, all right. Well, well. he ended up having a draw with, was it Yujiro, to, like, balance the block yeah. at the end of the tournament. Like, that was a weird, I think that was 2021. Just a weird, just weird year. for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> the less said about uh, any pandemic era in New Japan is, is is probably the best. And then Mad Mikey Nichols, who uh, if I was a betting man, I would not bet uh, for him to be emerging out of the block. But uh, you know, hey, stranger things have happened, I guess. But uh, probably not. I guess, but probably not. No, stranger things have actually not happened. I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually pretty. Strange. Yeah, I don't know. That would be pretty much. <laughs> that would be strange. it. Yeah. 
uh, maybe Gino paid, paid somebody off to, to make it happen. But um, then the D block, uh, one of the more fascinating blocks to me, I think the block that I'm, I'm most interested in seeing how it all plays out. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Toro Yano, Jeff Cobb, Shane Haste, and Alex Coglin. So that's a, a, an interesting block there, a well-balanced one. You pretty much just have Toro Yano as like the only guy in that block that the classic Yano, everybody needs a night off guy. That's fine because this block is loaded. You know, I, and when they initially listed out the 32 people, I was like, ah, we, do we really need the Toru Yano spot when we have Evil and we have Kenta and we have you know these other guys up and down the the, the G one that can be those you know, Chase Owens that those are kind of kind of be nights off for a lot of guys, but then you see this D block and it's pretty hellacious for guys. I mean, there, there's yeah. there's good workers and big dudes and guys that are going to work their ass off through this entire block. I I think this is a very well run block, and then obviously there's the Yano match and everyone, but now it makes sense. It's like all right, yeah, that's going to be the night off for all these guys because these guys are going to go out there and work their asses off here. I mean, I am interested in pretty much every other matchup, every match that doesn't involve Toro Yano. There's some sort of interest in me. You have Jeff Cobb and Zack Sabre Jr. Obviously, they've had uh, their wars for the New Japan World Title. You got Zack Sabre Jr. and Naito. Obviously, going back to the the, the, the tag team feud between those guys, Sabre and Tanahashi. I mean, come on, that Sabre and Tanahashi. Goto and Saber sounds great. Goto and Tanahashi sounds great. Goto and Naito. Like every combination that you come up with is pretty good. And Shane Hayes is, is solid as hell. And I love Alex Coglin as well. So it's just like, yeah, this is a loaded, loaded block. And it's one that I think is 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 relatively open because I don't know. And I guess Chris is a good you know opportunity for uh me to ask you, like, where do you think New Japan sees Tanahashi at this point? Like, is he a guy that we should be thinking? has even a, a remote chance of making it out of this block or is he is this officially the year where they kind of finally admit to themselves that it's probably over and this guy is maybe just kind of a mid-level dude in in the G1 this year. I mean he's he's been a mid-level dude since he went to the final in 2018. Right. Um so he's he hasn't had a tournament of I don't think he's had a tournament above 500 since then. So he went from 15 points to 8 eight eight and then last year i think it was four but you know shortened blocks it, it's not as it's yeah not that extreme. right 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 but like yeah does he so go below he, that can they do below that with tanahashi or do you think he just kind of hovers in that area for a while i that, think he 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 only goes below sorry last year was six but last he he only goes below that if they're doing the thing where he's losing out right he's gonna go over i think and then then but I think you have to announce Tanahashi's last G1, right? Like, Yeah. You, you can't you do it without telling people that they need yeah, to go buy a ticket to see that. You've got to do the Nagata thing where everyone knows it's your last G1. So, I don't... I, you know, could he go under 500, 3 and 4? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I... I wouldn't doubt that that's that's where he lands because that's about what he's been doing since his you know that big run in 2018. Right. He was incredible. I mean, the best you know one of the best matches of all time in that final, and then you know he carried that into a great Wrestle Kingdom match. And since then, he's kind of been hit or miss. And and I think we're seeing you know we're seeing a tough you know a, a tough pivot for for Tanahashi. Um, so yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see him come in under 500. Um, you know, this, this block is though, it's the opposite of the a block completely. Like, so what is it? So Tanahashi, Naito, Yano, and Goto are four of the top 10 G1 matches of all time between the four of them. They've participated in 541, 544 <laughs> wow. G1 climax matches. So like, 
you know, Tanahashi's in his 21st G1, Yano's in his 18th, Goto's in his 15th, Naito's in his 11th. So, like, this is G1 experience block all day. And, like, to your point about the A block, they they definitely could have mixed all that up. Um, you know, some of the, the super tenured guys with some of the young guys. But I, I kind of think this block is cool, too, because there's, I mean, this is the one where my notes are going to go extra pages because there's so much history between these guys so you know these are the days that they're gonna they're gonna use all the printer paper at cork and hall or wherever because like i there's so much to work with between tanahashi yano goto and naito and 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 zack saber jr for that matter so there's there's a ton of history in this block this one feels more like it's the last time some of these guys are going to be in the same block because believe it or not a lot of these guys are in the same block almost every year Tanahashi, Goto, and Zack Sabre Jr. and Naito, like, they cross paths a ton yeah, throughout yeah, the yeah. G1. Like, J. Michael and I were looking at, like, how often these guys are all in the same block together, and it's alarming. What Usually one person, you know, of that kind of group is knocked out of it, but there's so much just G1 history between these guys, not to mention everything else they've done. Uh, and w- one thing to note about Tanahashi, you know, going back and looking at these cards, he's facing Naito on the final night of the D block, night 16, that feels like a traditional, like, he's got to matter in that match, right? He's got to be an yeah. important part of that match. Like, I, I initially I was like, yeah, this might be the year to kind of really put him on the back burner, really kind of downcycle him, let these other guys go. But, man, I, I can't imagine they go into that match, D-block final, Naito and Tanahashi, and not have Tanahashi matter in that. You know, I guess he and- could a spoiler, but <sighs> I feel like he's got to matter. And he's got a week off between his match his what seventh or sorry sixth match and and the naito match the seventh his seventh match so there the d block goes from august 2nd to august 9th before you know between those those last two nights and and his match on august 2nd is against uh alex coglin it's the first match of the night so like probably not super high expectations so it's almost like they're giving him you know a week plus to rest to really bring it against Naito in, in some sort of important match. I, you have to assume. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that, that one's got a match. Yeah. That you, you, the, the way you lay out the schedule too, that that's perfect. Yeah. That's, that's the rest up ice up acupuncture cupping, whatever you got to do. <laughs> Go yeah. out there and give us a Tanahashi performance. Uh, you got Naito. one last great G right. G1 match. And, and honestly, maybe that's the story, right? Like right, maybe right. Tanahashi's still alive. Maybe Naito's already even clinched his way into the, the knockouts, but Tanahashi needs a win. And like, that could be a pretty epic match. That could be a really fun one. Yeah. So, so I'm changing my, my, my plan. Yeah. Tanahashi's got to be in the mix, but I like the idea too, that he, he, he gets there and then he just loses. You know what I mean? Like he, he's he, right. And that tells him, okay, I just don't have it anymore. That's fine. I tried. I tried my best. I rest up. I got there and it's, it just might not be in the cards for me anymore, but uh, yeah, it should be a very fun tournament uh, uh, for Tanahashi in that D block. So those are the blocks right there. Uh, a block, B block, C block, and D block. Uh, as we mentioned, the tournament is going to do uh, the quarterfinals then on August 12th at Sumo Hall, you're going to have the semifinals, quarterfinal winner, uh, a quarterfinal one winner, quarterfinal two, other side of the final, of course, is three versus four. And then the final night, August 13th, uh, back in Sumo Hall, 
uh, winners of the both semifinals are in the G1 Climax Finals. So, uh, Chris, anything else that you sort of noted or, or, or you think are, are some interesting points about this G1 that people should be aware of or, or, or card placements or, or anything that you think, you know, that you've noted in your research and said, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's a little nugget there that, that I'd like to talk about. Anything that's, that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, we're a month out from the tournament, but I, I'm so right now I'm all in kind of card placement land. I haven't looked at a bunch of head heads or anything like that. Like that'll be kind of my next phase. But when I look at card placement, the top two and they're tied and they basically have the same layout is Okada and Sonata. So both of them have three main events, two semi mains and a one mid card match. And then from there, though, Tamatanga and Setsuya Naito are the next tier. Huh. Yeah, right. And then from there, you have Shingo, Yotosuji, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay, and, and really Tanahashi in, in kind of that, you know, rounding out the top third. From there, the middle is really like, you know, Ishii, Saber, Finley, Kingston, you know, really mixed up in the middle. There's a bunch of dudes, you know, really the next like 15 guys, or they all have kind of similar, mostly mid card. Um, booking and then kind of the lower card booking is it kind of starts with Kiyomiya so it's like Kiyomiya, Tangaloa, Hinare, Yoshihashi, Gabe Kidd, uh, Great Okan, Yano so like those are kind of the the three the three big tiers I guess Um, but I think that kind of second level that Tamatanga and Naito and Shingo Tsuji level that's kind of telling like those are guys that you know I guess again you figure are going to be in the mix so Tamatanga is really leaning on a three semi-main events that kind of bring up his um, card placement, but um, he's got he a main knows. event though. I mean, he's got he, he a does main have event, which is he has is, one main event. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, I if you had told me, hey, is Tamatanga going to have a main event in this G one? I'd probably say, no, nah, I don't think so. But it's either, it's weird too because it's Ishi and Tamatanga. It's like two guys that you wouldn't, especially. Given that it's a, a C block night too, a C block and a D block night, there's so many other guys that they could, and that it's really strange that over Goto and Naito they're doing Ishii and Tamatanga. Like, mm. there's got to be a reason for that, right? Like, what what what's what am I missing with that? Well, they love him. I, that's that's what it really comes down to. And, and he had a great run, and I think maybe they're leaning a little bit on last year's G1 where he went, you know, he got into the semis and and he had his big program with okada so and then you know he he went for the never open weight thing which got really weird with carl anderson like it, he he kind of lost his momentum and then he's taken some time off so i think that they're still putting him back where he kind of was which was i mean he had ascended up the card quite yeah. a bit um but i think ap- the absence has kind of made everyone kind of forget and start to feel like he's stale again um, though that, I mean, that's not, that's not my take on Tomatonga. I think he's, he really has, um, kind of come up and earned that, that spot higher in the card. Mm-hmm. But I agree too. I he, think, he was great. He, he was great in that run. Yeah. But I do think that the absence, uh, for even just for a couple months now, um, has, has kind of made people forget about him. So, you know, he, he does have a little bit of an uphill battle, but yeah, that main event against Ishii in, in, uh, Zebio arena, on night four, like it's kind of weird. <laughs> so, um, but it'll probably be pretty good too. I mean that, you know, all those C block guys, they're all badasses. So most of those, you know, 
once you get high on the card and those C C block nights, C and D block nights, those are going to be your really established vets, and I think we're going to have a good time with those. Uh, one one thing in the card placement that I really find fascinating is David Finley has two main events. Now, the only other people that have multiple main events, Jeff Cobb also uh, has two main events, which is is a bit surprising too. And then it's Sonata and Okada, like you said, and that makes all nobody's surprised that Okada and Sonata are are in the most main events, tied at three. David Finley's in two main events, but also two openers. So that's it's yeah. like all or nothing for David Finley. He's either main eventing or he's in the openers. He's got one semi main uh, and one second on the card, and nothing from six. Fifth, fourth, third, none of the none of the mid card for David Finley. It's either main event or opener. Uh, I find that funny, and I also find funny that Mikey Nichols, one of the the, the bottom of the uh, the rung here, uh, no main events. Obviously, good lord, <laughs> Man, Mikey Nichols main event in the G one would be would be a thing. Uh, luckily, that is not happening. Uh, Semi main, no sixth match, no fifth match, no fourth match, three thirds, three seconds. And no openers. So they, they don't think they're going to get a hot opener out of Mike Nichols. So they just pack him into the second and third match of the night. That's uh, uh, pretty hilarious. Uh, that he'd be one of the lowest on the rungs and has no openers. Whereas Chase Owens, you know, he has two openers. Alex Coughlin has two openers. Mikey Nichols, though, stays out of the openers only in second and third matches from the top. So uh, interesting I mean, note it, there. It, mean, it means something. David Finley's made events. Uh, one of them I find fascinating, and it's not the one against Shingo. It's he's got the main event in Nagano against Evil um, oh. on the twenty third. <laughs> uh, yeah, with, oh we're gonna hear. I can hear the groans now, but that that match has to mean something, right? Oh yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. That's 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 a like lot. They of, have to, a lot of bullet they club have to do stuff. Some bullet yeah. club something with that match. So. Uh, for the Bullet Club perverts out there, that's your that's that, that's the one to highlight. <laughs> it's your Super Bowl for Bullet Club perverts. <laughs> uh, it it might actually be a good match. I mean, it might. <laughs> fin, Finley's been. I mean, Finley's whole thing is just beating the hell out of people. Yeah, yeah, like he's, yeah. he, he's not trying to do the you know the house of torture stuff. So you know, evil trying to try that. I could see evil trying that, and and Finley just like murdering him, mm-hmm. and then maybe separating House of Torture from Bullet Club, which. I don't know if that means anything to anyone, but you know, me and, and Jay Michael and the discords, but like uh, it, it would be helpful if that was a clear delineation instead of like evil is still sort of in bullet club. For sure. For sure. And uh, you know, we, we mentioned uh, Cork and hall uh, earlier with uh, Eddie Kingston and, and, and Ishii and Cork and hall, which is just an incredible, incredible match. I was looking at Cork and halls during G ones. Cause that's when it just feels like mm-hmm. a lot of these other places, you know, obviously, Wherever you go, people are going to try their their hardest to try. But like Cork and Hall's, like it just has a different feel. It's it's a different building, and there that a game comes out when people are in Cork and Hall. And the two main events for the twenty fifth and the twenty sixth in Cork and Hall are kind of interesting. You have the one on the twenty fifth, the Sonata versus Kaito Kiyomiya, and on the second night, Zack Saber Junior versus Jeff Cobb, which I think is is big spots for everybody involved. That's a big spot for for Kaito Kiyomiya in front of an audience that that should pretty light you know Corkin's usually your most hardcore of fans or whatever so that's the best place I think to put Kaito Kiyomiya in a main event because most of those fans are well aware of his Noah run know about him no problem and, and the idea that you know he's main eventing there with Sonata is is a big spot and you know maybe he gets the win there maybe he does the upset who knows what that's going to be but that's really cool I think putting Zack Sabre Jr. and Jeff Cobb in Corkin Hall in a main event is really cool as well that's 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 really a testimony to those guys and the, and and what they've been able to do Zack Sabre Jr. for busting his ass over the last couple of years. Jeff Cobb for 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 coming here and and, and going to New Japan and, and working his ass off too. Because there's a lot of other matches you probably could have 
put in that main event. There's not a lot on that show because it's like Tanahashi and Yano you're not going to put in the main event. I guess you could do Naito and Shane Hayes, but I think Tomatonga and David Finley, they could easily have have justified that as a main event, but I love the idea uh, of capping off the Cork and Hall uh, on the 26th with Zack Sabre Jr. and Jeff Cobb, and, and, and really, again, brilliant Brooking, too, by putting Kiyomiya there on the 25th against Sonata, knowing that that crowd is going to oh. be invested in Kiyomiya and understand you know why he's here and all that stuff going on with him. And the match right before Sonata, Kiyomiya, is Okada versus Yoshihashi. So that's, which is always, like, Yoshihashi fires up for his intra-chaos, you know, chaos loosely of faction still, um, matches, especially against Okada. So, and and Yoshihashi's, like, the hero of Cork and Hall still. Like, that's his level. So I think that, that that's going to be a really fun show. Both the Corkins look like they're going to be a really good time. But, um, you know, if you if you kind of think about it, like, Okada Yoshihashi is kind of the B block main event, and then Sonata Kiyomiya is the A block main event. But they yeah. ordered them that way for a reason, right? Like Sonata Kiyomiya is another big match, like probably at the level of you know to to, to keep an eye on the same way you'd keep an eye on you know the Okada Osprey match because like I think it's gonna feel that hot too because I, I don't doubt that the Noah faithful will show up to Cork and Hall too for that match, and that's kind of neat in, in in its own way too. For sure. For sure, yeah. Uh, anything else that uh, really stands out to you with this uh, G1 before we, uh, we we bid you adieu and, and, and close out the flagship here? Just that, you know, it's the first time since 2004 that they've got the quarterfinals, which means, you know, a quarter, really a quarter of the field is going to go into the... Uh, is going to go into the knockout stage, which leaves things really wide open. I, I think I tweeted the other night, like there will be no predictions. Like I'm not, it's also just a weird year for new Japan. It's a reset year. We're growing. Um, we're, we're getting these young guys up, up and running. So like, there's, I, I don't know what to expect from this G1, especially after we just saw Yota Suji get thrown into the main event mm-hmm. scene. So it's really tough for me to say like Naito's winning the G1 and he's going to, you know, he's going to, you know, whatever, right? Like he's going to Wrestle Kingdom, he's gonna fight Sonata. Like that doesn't make sense to me either as the Wrestle Kingdom main event. So everything's wide open. I will not be predicting anything except that, you know, I will I will cover everything as, as deep as I can and see what trends I can can unearth and I will put them out there into the universe. Yeah, it's gonna be a fascinating and, and it's gonna change a little bit of the, the quarterfinals changes a little bit of how we, you know, look at the tournament. Who's oh, who's doing this and what's the scoring or whatever. Like you said, a, a quarter of the a quarter of the guys are going into these quarterfinals, but I, I like it because now it, it, it immediately gives us what what you lose in the drama of, oh my god, this guy has to win or else it's all done or whatever, and he's not gonna win the block or whatever. We now get that replaced by four quarterfinal matches where it's all important. All those four matches are gonna be very important, all packed into the tenth. Like that that show on August tenth, which is gonna have all those quarterfinals, is gonna be a hell of a show because it's like win or go home for every single one of these guys. That makes it a lot of fun uh for me. So it changes it up a little bit, and that that's fine. That's okay. Like I, I don't want I don't want wrestling companies to ever be stagnant and do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, and the G1s, not that they were stagnant, but I like the idea of changing them up a little bit and saying, okay, here, let's do, let's do these different blocks here. And I like this better than last year's plan, too, where last year was very condensed and, you know, you only got a couple of matches here and there. I, I like this oh, idea. On the scheduling last year, just it the never momentum. felt like any of the blocks had any momentum. No momentum. And like now, 
now at least the blocks are contained with themselves. I mean, you've got A and B together in C and D, which is which is fine. But like, at least you can kind of keep people together in your brain instead of having one match from each block each night, which just I mean, it was hell for me. <laughs> it was just yeah, it was hard to watch too because you were just like, all right, A block, who's even in the A block? <laughs> like, what, yeah, what, right, right. What are the standings? Every time I watched, I had to go back and like look it up again like all right where's this guy in the a block whereas like yeah the the nights where they're all block matches it's like all right yeah you 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 feel like you're in the flow of the block and you're in the flow of the tournament so yeah whatever last year i'm so glad that they've pivoted away from that because it just it just didn't work it it just did not work at all uh and and i like the structure of this and i I love the ideas of the quarterfinals and the semifinals and the finals just adding another layer of of intriguing you know matchups that are going to be big like that that august 10th show like again i'm circling that one is like you're getting four quarterfinals in that that's going to be an incredible incredible night uh of wrestling and then yeah you go back to sumo hall then and, and do the you know semifinals and the finals so that it, it's shaping up i think uh to be a pretty spectacular g1 so so i'm i'm definitely looking forward to it definitely excited and just the fact that new japan's kind of felt like a different company this year it feels like a company really trying to do some new things push some new people get you know new guys over you know maybe get that next generation really ready to go it feels like everything's up in the air man it's 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 I, it's hard to predict in in that way and, and that's in a good way too like i don't know that they might not just say screw it yotsuji is going to win the whole thing you know what i mean like right. i don't know they might right <laughs> there's not there's I mean, nothing that tells me you can't yeah a lot of us you know you and i included had gotten to the point where you, you could see the booking and it was great right you could see where the booking was going. I just went you right just, to the last night. You went right to the last night and went, okay, yeah. that guy's winning. <laughs> and it was over. And it, But it was, for a while, that was really cool and yeah. really novel, right? And then we got to the point where we're like, that's kind of, now it's kind of boring, right? Especially through the pandemic years, you're like, well, I guess we're, I guess this is what we're doing. And like, some of the, there was great wrestling on all those G1s. Like, they were still the goddamn G1 climax, you know? Like, but I, this year, the booking, and even last year too, because of just how, weird the and surprising the four block thing was like now we're kind of you kind of used to that like but the way these blocks are separated like you're right like there's there's no telling who's coming out of these blocks especially now that there's another knockout round like they're not going straight to the finals anyone can win second place in a block and Mm -hmm. go to the quarterfinals and at least get like some shine so I, I don't know. I'm I'm probably not going to put any sort of prediction out there except that I, I'm going to be surprised by at least probably one or two people that go into that knockout round. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for that. For sure, because I don't have a clear if you had, you know, if, if I asked you, hey, Chris, who's definitely going to win this whole thing? Like, I, and you asked me, I would say. I mean, I, Sonata's the champion, Rich. Yeah. Like, what? Like, right. will he be by Wrestle Kingdom? I, will. I mean, Jungle who Boy. Else? It, who's no. going to face Jungle Boy after Jungle Boy defeats him at Forbidden like, Door? Yeah. Well, yeah, we can't talk about that. <laughs> we don't have time for that. But, like, what? who's going to beat Sonata in the block so that they can have a championship match so that they can win the championship before Wrestle Kingdom, right? Like, everything's lining up to, like, Sonata carrying that title into Wrestle Kingdom. Like, if Naito was in his block or, like, you know, one of the established vets that could get a win and then beat him again at King of Pro Wrestling, that would make sense to me. But, like, I don't see a path for Sonata to have a meaningful title defense in the Tokyo Dome or, or prior to the Tokyo Dome unless it's Kiyomiya. Yeah. And are they going to belt up Kiyomiya? 
Like that seems <laughs> crazy to me too, but also not out of the question. Right. Then then he's definitely soft jumping. <laughs> he's there and right. <laughs> or you really want to take and this. And then you know, also Okada's definitely if Kiyomiya beats Sonata, I will then predict that Okada is beating Okada's winning this G1. Yes. Because then you're setting up Kiyomiya Okada for the Tokyo Dome. Right, right. Which or I'm kind of there for. Yeah, or they've just gotten this like invasion thing into overdrive and New Japan's right. lost their mind and was like, all right, we got to get this thing to the next level. Give the title to Kiyomiya. That seems like that's like a, that's like 2003 New Japan stuff. So I don't think that's where we're going. So there's a lot of places this there's a lot of ways that this can go. And that, that always makes for a good G1. Because like you said, there was a couple of years where you'd scroll down. And or you just think, okay, Naito's the champion. They're not gonna. It's gonna be Okada versus Naito. Like we know, you know, it's like all right, we know what they're gonna do for Wrestle Kingdom. It doesn't feel like it's that obvious anymore. When yeah, like you said, Sonata is the champion. Is he gonna be the champion of the Tokyo Dome? I have no idea. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. Like and and so that throws an. So I think there's any number of guys. Like I think I think you could have Sonata win the whole thing if you really wanted to. I don't know that I would do that. That's not exactly the sexiest thing to do is have him win the whole thing. But if you want to push the guy is like this dude's a dude, like that's a good way to do it. I, I don't think they'd go that way. Uh, Yotosuji, I don't think it's impossible, right? It's not out of the question. He's standing I mean, he's in the middle the of those LIJ things. I know a couple days ago or it was last night or whatever or, 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 or this morning, you know, LIJ came out and he's standing in the middle. I don't know how attainable that is. Like that doesn't feel and like he, he's got he's smiling and he's he looks good. He's got, got the, the look. I mean, that. They know that dude's a star in the making. Right. So he could do it. It's not impossible. And like you said, Kaito Kiyomiya, that it's not impossible either for him. Okada is always a possibility. Um, Will, who knows? I mean, he still, I don't, sure. it's not impossible yeah. for Will at all. Um, C-block. Like the running favorite, the running favorite was Naito. Yeah. Yeah. You got D-block. You got Naito. I don't think we're doing it with Tanahashi again unless he's got some special something that he is like. I know serious trust me. drugs and <laughs> right, serums and this. shots in the back. <laughs> right. If, if if some sort of miracle drug has been invented, he might, but I probably Naito. Um yeah, because then you get the Naito Sonata thing if you want to do that. C block, I mean, you could if you really want to get this Finley thing ramp, you know, ramped up, you could go that level. I don't think he's main eventing Tokyo Dome, but he could, you know potentially lose the case along the way and still win it like a lot of ways you can go with this tournament so that that makes it fun ultimately there's probably only you know three or four guys that have an actual realistic chance but the fact that there's three or four guys and not just one guy or or, or, or two guys makes it a lot of fun and then like you said you throw monkey wrenches in there with the, the quarterfinals and the semifinals so uh it's going to be a hell of a, a hell of a tournament and i think the the way the f- scheduling looks it looks perfect it looks like yeah it's it, it looks like it's all going to work here so I'm, I'm i'm super pumped up for the g1 climax this year yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good tournament. There's gonna be a lot of matches, but again, we got that shorter time limit, so I I do think that's gonna make things feel a little bit different, even if you know the match times aren't necessarily like they're gonna wrestle like it's urgent, which I think is 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 neat, especially yeah. some of those old vets. Like watch that D block. Like those guys are really gonna take advantage of that change oh, yeah. because <laughs> it's a huge pivot for them. For sure, yeah, they're going to be more than happy to wrestle ten minutes, you know, what I mean, or eleven minute <laughs> matches, than, than than having to go out there and, and do you know your fourteen, fifteen, sixteen matches, uh, minute matches. But uh, that is the G one, uh, Chris. Anything else you wanted to uh, touch on with G one or New Japan before we uh, bid you adieu? I guess. Oh, let's talk about Forbidden Door real quick, and then we'll then we'll bid sure. you adieu. So that's uh, we've gotten some 
Uh, interesting stuff in Forbiddendor, which is not that far away. It feels like it's kind of far away, but then it also is not that far away at all. It's next week. It's 10 days from now, which seems – yeah, because Collision's coming, so that's kind of like ticking up everyone's you know sort of thought. But, yeah, it's like the go-home show for – the go-home dynamite for Forbiddendor is next week. You know, in Chicago, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, which I will be there. I don't know if you're going to be there as well, but uh, I, I'm I, going. I'm going to Collision. Um, yeah, for reasons that you know. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> so uh, matches. Uh, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Anyway, uh, IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship: Kenny Omega defending the title against Will Osprey, Brian Danielson versus Okada, Sonata versus Jungle Boy. And MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. That looks like a hell of a card so far. What, what do you think of? Honestly, I said it on the flagship. You could add Omega and Osprey and Danielson versus Okada, and just said, "All right, everybody, go home." Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Have those two like, matches. It's two hours. No one is leaving that building going, "Ah, darn it! I wish there was just another hour and a half of wrestling." No, you're all leaving going, "That was incredible. I'm so glad we went to that show." Like, just those do those two matches. That's fine. That's all we need. It's it's gonna be fine. Um, what I'm watching out for is. Will the U.S. title be placed above the card over the IWGP World Heavyweight title, which I believe would be the first time that's ever happened? Yeah. So, like, on on my side of things, where I'm looking at those types of details for New Japan, I, I would imagine that that'll be the case unless that match opens the show, which could be freaking cool, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, those four matches are all... I, I don't have an issue with the Jungle Boy match. Um, I see a lot of you know, discussion and conversation about Jungle Boy not being like a worthy competitor for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. And that may be like pretty much true. But I think once you once Jungle Boy's career is over or or you know has really hit a peak, I think if you look back on it, it will sort of make sense. It's a little bit forced, but also, you know, Sonata's not exactly your, you know, primary draw here right now. And especially in the US, I think he he does do a little bit better in, in Japan, and he, he's starting to get some traction there. But, um, yeah, and and Tanahashi, you know, if Tanahashi gets the AEW title shot at every Forbidden Door until the end of time, I think that's <laughs> – yeah. I think I think that might just be a fun bit for, for AEW to run. It's just Tanahashi keeps coming in, and eventually maybe he wins the damn thing, which could be really fun. Um, I You know, so but him and MJF, it also is the story that makes the most sense. Oh, that is the best booking. Anybody that has anybody who's got a problem with that is just lost because MJF is a guy who's been so dismissive of New Japan for wrestling. Doesn't even want to wrestle on the show. You know, last year didn't wrestle on the show, had no need for it. New Japan sucks. It's stupid. I don't really care. I don't want to be involved in this. The best guy for him to face is the guy who represents that company better than anybody. And Roshi Tanahashi, who is going to fucking slap the shit out of the guy. You think uh, MJF is going <laughs> to show up. You know, he said it in the promo already. I don't want to face some nobody from some rinky-dink indie fed in Japan or whatever. And I just know the structure that match is going to be so perfect where MJF is just going to be shrugging this guy off and Tanahashi is going to give him one of those slaps and just kind of work his ass over, like, no, motherfucker, like you're in here with me. I'm a goddamn legend. Like you don't know what who I am. Like you're gonna you're gonna know who I am after this or whatever. And it's just gonna be, yeah. I I, I am so looking forward to that match. That's the perfect booking. I know uh, uh, Suit Williams. I was talking with him yesterday on the Instant Reaction Live. I know he mentioned it like a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in the Voice Wrestling Contributor Slack of like that's the match to do. And I was like, that's brilliant. That is the match to do. And I'm so so glad they went with that because MJF being the dismissive, disrespectful asshole in the ring there with the legend of New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's what you do. If you can't do a Yuji Nagata or whatever, because he's doing stuff with All Japan Pro Wrestling, you can't do one of those guys. 
Hiroshi Tanahashi is great because he could still plausibly fit in as the guy. Like if Yuji Nagata got an AEW World Title shot, it's like I like I love Yuji Nagata, but it's like nobody. I mean, nobody really expects right. him to have like a, a competitive match with MJF. That's fucking Hiroshi Tanahashi, man. He's still yeah. We know that he's not in his prime anymore. We know that it's done. But like to people that aren't watching every single New Japan show, that's still a legend. You know, that's still a guy that has yep. some sort of level of reverence or whatever. So you can buy that that guy deserves the AEW World Championship shot. And could maybe beat MJF and take him to his limit. And 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 also you still have that respect factor in there too, where he's, you know, at the end of the match, gonna know what New Japan Pro Wrestling is all about. And it's not some rinky dink indie fed out of Japan or whatever. Well, yeah, and I you know, I've been lucky enough to be in the building for some MJF matches and some Tanahashi matches. And uh both of those guys have they they can work the crowd. So and they can they can both real I mean Obviously, MJF's really like in the prime of his career, and Tanahashi, we've already talked, he's not. But they they both still have that crowd connection, and honestly, like in in that type of environment of Forbidden Door, like you know, I was lucky enough to be in the building for last year's Forbidden Door, and like it's it's going to be a hot crowd, and they're going to eat up, and there's going to be sides, and that's okay. There's going to be the Tanahashi side, and there's going to be the side that actually probably cheers for MJF. And the trick is probably going to be for Tanahashi to pull those people away and say, like, no, I'm the, you know, fiery baby face yeah. underdog that's that's fighting for something greater than myself. And, you know, I it's just that's brilliant booking. There's those four matches. I mean, you know, the Jungle Boy match, Jungle Boy Sonata match aside, it'll be a good match. And both those dudes. Good looking guys, right? You got to put good looking guys. Real good show. looking, yeah. The, the like, I said, the ladies, handsome the, battle. The ladies, the men, uh, the crowd. That we need screams. We need screams when those guys come out. Yeah, the good jawlines, good hair, uh, good, yeah. good everything. Yeah, we we uh, like we, we talked about on the flagship. The the perfect booking for that show. Somebody in the in the the chat room said they should do a hair versus hair match, and then we flipped that <laughs> around in that Jungle Boy has to cut his hair if he loses, but Sonata has to grow his hair back if he wins uh, if he loses. <laughs> and, so, and the beard, yeah, he's got yeah. to do the beard. He's got to dye it blonde again. He's got to because he's got yeah. the nice hair right now. If it, oh yeah, you know, any any cut that he'd make would maybe even be even more of an improvement. Just a nice little tighter cut or whatever. Uh, no, he can't have that. He has to grow his hair back. Uh, he's got and, but, six months before the Clippers come out, <laughs> right? Exactly, and then yeah, obviously Jungle Boy would have to cut his hair. I mean, you you do that. That's the main event. You tell Tanahashi right. and MJF, <laughs> you guys are going to have to wait. You tell, you tell Danielson Nokata that they've got 15. They right, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. you got 15. we got the Sonata Jungle Boy hair versus hair, and it's for the IWGB World Heavyweight Championship. There's so much at stake here. You understand that this has to be the main event, and those guys would fully understand you know, that that would be the main event. <laughs> you know, Omega, uh, Osprey, whatever time we got left when we time it out, we'll give you guys the minute. Yeah, it's 22 minutes, or you can open or whatever. That's fine. Take whatever you can get because, yeah, you got Jungle Boy and Sonata hair versus hair. IWGP title on the line, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Forbidden Door looks great, it's and I don't. Me. I mean, honestly, at this point, it really does not matter what else they book. Add, add whatever else you yeah, want. Like we're gonna, we're we're all gonna have a good time. Yeah, it, it, it looks spectacular. So uh, excited for that show, which is again coming up very very quickly, very quickly uh, on the calendar there. But uh, Chris, before we bid you adieu, uh, again, let sh- uh, everybody know where they can follow you, where they can see your work, where they can read your work. All that other good stuff, and then uh, yeah, we're the we're, let them all know. Get the plugs out of the yeah. way. Yeah, catch me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. Uh, catch my work on NJPW World. Uh, pretty much anything with English uh, commentary, and uh, yeah, I'll have some posts, some pre and or during G One posts at 
njpw1972.com and probably also at voicesofwrestling.com so but thank you so much for having me rich my flagship debut i had a great time there it is yeah we'll have to catch you on again maybe after the g1 we'll find a time joe will be going on a vacation or hell, i'll be going on a vacation pretty soon yeah I'm there sure. you go. so uh, joe will need someone to fill in there but uh chris thank you so much uh, uh for uh, coming on here helping us out again you can follow him at the chris samsa uh, on twitter you can hear his work all the time on new japan world just watch new japan world to see there also uh, New Japan World's English website as well. But uh, Chris, thank you so much uh, for coming on here, being a part of the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this week's episode of the Flagship Podcast. Joe will be back next week, and uh, we will uh, back to our regularly scheduled programming, talking Collision, Forbidden Door, all that other stuff coming up uh, next week. going to be another massive, massive flagship. So uh, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again next time. Take care. Bye. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.